What's up, Drop Pod listeners? You can check out new episodes of the Drop Podcast every Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find all of our content on YouTube at the Drop Golf Podcast and on our socials. That's Instagram and Twitter at the Drop underscore pod. No matter how you consume us, like, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. Follow and listen along. This episode is presented by All County Exteriors. Discover the excellence of All County Exteriors, a third-generation leader in premier exterior home remodeling, proudly celebrating over 40 years of success. While most remodeling companies last just five years, All County Exteriors has withstood the test of time, consistently delivering top-quality roofing, siding, windows, and doors. Their expertise extends from small repairs to large additions, serving homeowners and builders alike. More than just a construction company, All County Exteriors is deeply committed to community service, proudly supporting organizations such as the Make-A-Wish Foundation, American Cancer Society, Rooster Troops, and Parents of Autistic Children. If you have planned to do any exterior modeling, call the experts at All County Exteriors for a free, no-obligation estimate for your project. Just call 732-370-2780 or email them at info at allcountyonline.com. That's 732-370-2780 for All County Exteriors for all your modeling needs. This is the Drop Podcast where we talk golfing in the Garden State. I'm Mike Poro, and this is Ryan Kulot. What's going on, everyone? How you doing this week? Uh, man, we got a lot of topics to cover, Mike. Uh, a big week in golf. Uh, again, you know, we're, we're a golf podcast talking New Jersey golf, but when, when you got a, a pseudo major coming out at the uh, on the PGA Tour, we got to uh, we got to address some things there. So we got some stuff we're going to talk about. Um, make sure that you stick on uh, stick around for today's guest. Uh, today's guest is going to be Brian Doherty. Uh, we're on a little bit of a Hollywood kick, Mike. We had Danny Lewis on last week. Uh, who's, you know, Hollywood adjacent. He just got the new uh, head pro job um, out in Pennsylvania, but he was at Hollywood for a number of years. Uh, Brian comes to us as the director of instruction from Hollywood. Um, another, uh, we end the interview with an amazing story that he's got. Uh, a, you know, Danny had um, one about Trump. Uh, I don't want to give Brian's away, but he's got an incredible one as well. So really cool uh, stories and, and really just his story getting into golf and, and kind of his life journey in it is, uh, is pretty remarkable. So stick around for Brian, um, at the end of the, at the end of the episode. All right, Mike, before we jump in, let's, let's do a little recap, a little recap of what's going on. Yesterday, uh, episode nine of TPI Tuesday came out, um, Little little behind the scenes, uh, I actually feel pretty lucky. I, I reposted episode eight accidentally, and uh, and and figured it out in time. So we got you know we got had glitches, but you know sometimes we make mistakes. But we had uh, we had that. Mike, uh, Doctor Mike, and I are rolling. It's funny we we say it a little bit on camera, but but mostly off. I don't know how to intro it anymore. You know, hey, we're we keep it rolling. We're doing our stuff. We're we're going to continue mobility and this and that. And, and it's, uh, it, it's really good. It, it's getting good. I've gotten a couple, couple compliments from some people who are usually not too quick to give compliments, which is nice. 
um, <clears throat> my brother, and uh, it was uh, it was pretty good. So so we got that going on. That was yesterday. Uh, today, episode seventy one. Uh, I should say, Mike. I'm sorry. I owe you an apology. Happy Valentine's Day, buddy. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> uh, episode 71 is coming out today, the 14th. Uh, tomorrow is a big day for a few reasons. One we'll get into uh, in the episode where it is um, sign-up day, the NGSGA. Uh, and it's also hole number 10 at Tidewater for Ryan's Versus. Um, this is a, this is a pretty cool hole, pretty interesting hole coming out of like the twists and turns of Tidewater. And, and I, I got to figure out a way, I, I guess I'm just going to take a screenshot of the Google maps to see how the holes are set up. You're coming from nine past the clubhouse through a parking lot, past the driving range, through another parking lot, through the condos. Uh, and the I don't mean like, through the woods. It, it, Mike, you literally you go over the over a, a lake, so you're literally going over the river and through the woods to get there. Um, it's, it's the layout is just super interesting how it just kind of winds in there. But um, but yeah, uh, episode or, or I guess a hole number ten at Tidewater coming out tomorrow for you, uh, and that's kind of a little recap, 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 recap. Preview and recap of the week. There we go. Got it. I made it. I got there. Time's a charm. (laughs) Um, So, Mike, let's let's start. I I know it's. uh, We just kind of mentioned it. Ng NJSGA signups are today. Yeah, I mean it's a big day tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, it's a big day for for anybody that's you know for you and your partner that are looking to sign up for the four ball. You can pretty much guarantee the spot you want to go once you you know, sign in. And I think just the things that we talked about last time regarding this was, you know, and make sure that you have your partner's gym number so that when you sign up, you can put all your information in, you guys can get the site that you're looking to get. Um, so there's are, so there are no hiccups along with the, you know, the mid M you can go pick your site for where you're looking to go. And, and obviously there are some, and I guess prerequisites more or less in terms of how you can, or what you need to sign up for. But I, I do think just like anything, to lock in the spot you want, the course you want, you know, when that thing goes live to, uh, tomorrow, you got to make sure you get in. You care to break where you're, uh, where you and your partner are going to? Can I say Austin? TBD. I already, I already broke that. <laughs> yeah. You uh, don't know where we're going, though. No. I know you don't. I, that I, I, I was don't afraid. I was afraid to to, to leak that to you because I, I knew wouldn't. it would have got announced before I even got to say anything. Right, even I though it's not a big deal where I'm going, frankly. <laughs> um, but I wouldn't have announced it, uh, and if we did say it, I would have bleeped it out because um, this is coming out, and and you sign up tomorrow. So anyone that's listening, you know, I wouldn't want you to get. Uh, I wouldn't want to sabotage you in any way, shape, or form. So. Uh, so yeah, good luck to those uh, that are signing up. Again, jump on early. You know, you don't want to be um, locked out of a of a place you were really looking, hoping, looking and hoping to uh, to get with. Um, so make sure you got all that information and get it done early, right? 
George Wall Ford in Red Bank, New Jersey is family owned and operated, proudly serving New Jersey residents with superior customer service since 1960. Rye, share your story about your experience there. Mike, I I went on a tangent in one of our episodes previously about it, but I can't say enough good things about George Wall Ford. Um, I needed a new car. I had I had an old. Uh, I loved the brand that I had. I loved, you know, it was an SUV, but had 165,000 miles on it. It was just time, you know. So I hopped on over to George Wall Ford. I saw our guy, Jerry, um, and Jerry and his team were awesome. I mean, from from stem to stern, they're there, they're helping, they're knowledgeable. Um, they have so many cars on the lot that you can go in and say, hey, I want a sunroof, a navigation. I want this kind of rims on it. I want this kind of this, that, and the other thing. There's there's a great chance that they have that car with all your specs, the color, all that thing. Me, I didn't particularly care. I just I I was like, hey, I I want to be high up on in the car, right? I want I want I need an SUV. I'm a big guy. I got a dog. I got golf clubs. I got beach chairs in the summer. I need something that's a little more rugged, a little more. Um, again, I like to be higher in my car. And I went and saw Jerry. He pointed me in the right direction. And and again, it's it's awesome to have that kind of help and support from your salesman to the finance guy to to even they got somebody who helps you set up your car right i got an app on my phone now that's got my auto start on it i can locate my car if i don't know where it is uh i could take a trip to to japan if i wanted to and be like did i lock my car and i can go into the app and lock my car so um even even you know, people helping you set up that stuff. It, just the hands-on approach over there is is incredible. So if you need a car, head on over to George Wall. Uh, they and go ask for Jerry. They were awesome there. Again, stem to stern from everybody. I can't say enough good things about it. It was an unbelievable experience. So to Ryan's point, there isn't a better place to shop for a brand new car. Just call seven three two seven zero four one nine three two and ask for Jeremy Wall. George Wall Ford and Red Bank for all your car buying needs. I thought that was a nice little segue, but let's go back to our uh, to our list here, Mike. Let's start with with something that is not golf related, but there was a rather big event this week in uh, in sports world. Again, we had a few, but let's talk about the non golf one first. Super Bowl 58. Was that the number? Yeah. Uh, I was rooting for the Niners. Uh, I'm not one of these people that's an anti-Chiefs person. Uh, It really comes down to, I bet, the 49ers preseason to win the Super Bowl. Uh, So I... um, was obviously rooting for that to pay out. <laughs> uh, and I had some prop bets in there yesterday I threw in. But, um, yeah, it, it uh, I thought it was a pretty decent Super Bowl. I mean, first half was was rather boring. Um, second half, maybe halfway through the third to the, to the fourth and overtime was very exciting. Uh, and I, I think we just have a reiteration of Tom Brady with Patrick Mahomes here. I think there's going to be a lot of great players that kind of like, if you look back to basketball in the Jordan era, the fact that Stockton and Malone don't have a, a, an NBA championship is kind of a crime. But when you have, when you're living in the era, like Michael Jordan, it it's just, it just happens. There's going to be so many players that, that don't get it because 
Patrick Mahomes is so good. And I actually was talking to my brother at halftime and I had said exact I said this exactly. The 49ers are in trouble up 10-3 because they didn't capitalize on the Chiefs playing poorly and the 49ers really playing well. You know, if I'm Andy Reid and I go into the locker room, guys, we're only down 7. We're down one score. We couldn't have played worse. Maybe the 49ers couldn't have played better. You know, it, it's we're going to change some things. Here's what we're doing. We're fine. And turned out they were. Um, what did you think of the game? Let me rephrase. What did you think of the game? I thought I thought the better team with the better quarterback with the better coach won. And, and I, I'll be honest. I am a guy that loves domination. I love dynasties. I love when someone goes in there and everybody just kind of bows down and folds. I think that's absolutely amazing. Tiger Woods had it in golf for all those years. Tom Brady had it for all those years. Derek Jeter always found a way for all those years. And now the idea that we have that again with Patrick Mahomes is amazing. I I don't care. I have no connection to the Kansas City Chiefs. I have no connection to the San Francisco 49ers. All I cared for was for a good football game. And from that fourth quarter on, it was that. Um, And I was glued to my seat all through. I mean, I watched every damn play. um, And I was happy the Kansas City Chiefs won. I was. I I just, I love the fact that everybody buys into these crazy conspiracy theories that Taylor Swift is a reason. I love that. I just think you're out of game. I just think you're out of your mind for (laughs) thinking that. And for someone who's somewhat sane, I love the fact that people just thought that it was scripted as if where this is the WWE, you're out of your mind. So for me, like, let's go Patrick Mahomes. And I thought at the end of the day, the biggest mistake of that whole entire game was Kyle Shanahan deferring in overtime and giving Patrick Mahomes the damn ball, one final shot down the field. Like, I don't know why you'd give him that opportunity to win the game. To me, that's frankly the biggest mistake anybody can make. Wait, do you mean for him deferring, like taking the ball first? Or do you mean not going for it? He should, no, no, no. In overtime, in overtime. He should have let them get the ball first. Yeah, he should have said, I want to, I want to kick. He won the toss. He should have kicked, not received. He should have deferred to them, let them take the ball first. Why in God's name would you give Patrick Mahomes the last chance? It's the dumbest thing you could do. Yeah, I And then I on top of disagree. that, you know it's fourth and four. You're driving. No offense, you know that Patrick Mahomes is going to go down and score points. <laughs> Plain and simple. You got to go for the touchdown. You got to play to win the game. Plain and simple. And to me, like, he did not do that against, at the end of the day, the best quarterback in the NFL. That was a very, very poor coaching decision. And to me, I just love the fact that Patrick Mahomes just goes down and gets it done. Yeah, I didn't think it was such a bad coaching decision because he wants to let the best part of them, which is their defense, be on the field to stop them. Against the and, best player? And I get, and, and here's the only other thing. You're giving Patrick Mahomes an extra down if he's going second. You know, he, he gets, if you don't score, all he's got to do is score. But if you kick a field goal and he's got, again, a fourth and four, Rather than, rather than than 
Like given Patrick, you given Patrick Mahomes an extra down to, to work with, right? If they don't get it on third, we can get it on fourth because if we don't get it, game's over. So it doesn't really matter. We got to go for it, right? So you're giving someone another crack at it. Whereas if they get the ball first and they get a fourth and four and they're out of field goal range, they're probably punting it. And they're going to force one, their defense to. So I, I just, I just think there's one thing in life that I think we all will eventually learn about Patrick Mahomes is there's some people that you just don't doubt. No one ever doubted Tiger knocking in a 20 footer at Bay Hill to win the damn tournament. No one doubted Tiger to make the putt at Tory. No one doubted Tiger to make the putt ever. No one ever doubted Tom Brady coming down 28 three. Right. No one ever doubted Derek Jeter when he got up in the bottom of the ninth to get a clutch hit. Patrick Mahomes now fits in that same umbrella and why in my eyes, you'd give that guy who makes, who's a big time player. He makes big time plays in big time games. Why you give him that chance to me when you know it's inevitable. Yeah. I'm playing to win the game. I'm playing to win the game. Um, I, I think something that gets overlooked is the chiefs defense because they were able to get stops so that Patrick was able to, hey, we got to stop. We only held him to a field goal. So now we got to go down and we got to get a field goal to tie it as opposed to going down to win it, which you know he was going to get, right? There's no chance that he wasn't going to get that field goal. Um, that was like, if there was betting odds, bet the overtime. Like at the, at the bare minimum, you're, you're, you're getting an overtime, right? Unless he goes down and scores a touchdown, they're not losing the game, right? Yeah, but which he almost just, damn damn near, damn near did anyway. Right. So uh, yeah, good on their on their defense to get stops to then, you know, force either either again keep it to a field goal in regulation and keep them to a field goal in overtime. Uh, when they were really moving the ball, they did a good job of moving the ball up and down the field all game. I felt like, um, particularly in the first half, and then not they didn't reap the rewards of their work. Uh, whether it was a penalty, whether it was uh, a fumble, whether it was, you know, a number of things. But, um, yeah, good good for them. And those people that think that the, the Super Bowl, the football is rigged, uh, again, I jokingly say it with my fan, but come on, you guys are smarter than that. you got to be sm- – like, this is well, not – You have to. You just have to be. I'm not, I'm not even going to entertain that. You're going to keep Aaron Rodgers out for a season then? You're just going to – this is this guy's not someone you keep off the field. Like, oh, you're going to – you're gonna pay Kyle Shanahan to to lose the game, like I. There's some things in life I love to argue, even though regardless if I'm right or I'm wrong. When I hear these people talk about this, I just I just have to legitimately mute them or leave the conversation because to me, like, you're kind of just angry. You're yeah. angry. You're mad. You're just looking for negative things in life. Like, move on. Yeah. Let's be happy. The better team won with the better quarterback, with the better coach. It just so happens that, yes, they also have probably one of the best tight ends ever who dates the most popular girl in the freaking Keep world. Keep to the that, game. Okay. Uh, listen, another part of the reason why I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. I, I loved it. Ha- ha- people being happy, you have to love that. When it's real, when it's genuine, people are smiling on that level. Hits, hits harder. Hits harder when you have two little girls that are watching the game because of that, bringing people to the game. You want to talk about growing the game, Liv? That is the example <laughs> of growing the game. Yeah, I, I didn't. Uh, 
that's all that's all crazy talk and, and i'll also say this because uh, i did want to talk about halftime and taylor swift kind of together because i know you're your team taylor um 100%. I think that we saw at the end of that game Taylor Swift is not an actress, right? I know that she has done some acting, but she's not an actress, right? You get what I'm saying? So for her to be acting like they're so in love at the end of that game, it was Mike Genuine. Again, Genuine. I sat I sat with my dog on my couch. We ordered pizza and wings and even at the end of the game, I watched that. I was like, oh, that's nice. That's touching. Like, that was a genuine embrace um, from some people. And, and I'm glad. I, I I love the Kelsey brothers. I love their podcast. I love – the only thing I don't like about Jason is that he's on the Eagles. I like I like everything about Travis. Um, he's – he's they're they're incredible they're incredible people dudes so yeah they are and the fact that some pop star like her who could really date any man that she wants to in the world has chosen this rather buffoonish football player right like he's out there yelling like you gotta fight for your right to party like you know it it shows that she's got a little bit of a personality and i and i like that and i i I do not mind the people that uh, the people that are angry that Taylor Swift is being shown. I don't understand because the football game, and I don't know what the numbers were for the Super Bowl, but for the AFC Championship, the game was three hours. She was on screen for forty-four seconds. Okay, her her boyfriend. Now take away that she's a pop star, right? But her boyfriend had two touchdowns. 10 catches and over a hundred yards. He had himself a ball game. They're going to show his family no matter what. So maybe if she's not in there, they get 35 seconds of T, you know, instead of 44 seconds, but they're going to show the family because he's out there balling out. Right. I, I don't, so I don't get it. It's not like she's taking away from the play of the game. It's not like, it's not like in golf, right? Where they go, Hey, coming back from a commercial break. Uh, let's see what happened on 18. It's not like there's, there's showing Taylor Swift in there chugging a beer. And then she goes, Oh, this is, Oh, on that third down that just happened. Let's tell you, let's tell you, no, it's not like they're doing that. I don't, I don't get it. It's not like she's on the screen long enough that you need to get angry. I, I don't get, I don't get the thumping about it. If you don't like her, fine you don't have to I, i'm not I, I could take it or leave it i'm not like you i'm not a swifty i don't dislike her by any means but like i i don't understand the hatred for somebody that's on screen for 44 seconds when she's dating somebody that's out there ball it's not like it's not like she's dating like the punter for the team and they're showing her all that often you know like i'd like to know how often brock purdy's dad was on tv yesterday i saw him three or four times so, like, how, how often was he on there? Again, probably not 44 seconds. Might have been 30 no, seconds. But no it, one's complaining again, about like, that. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Shut the fuck up is what I want to say to people. Like, it's, there's bigger things to be angry about in the world. I'm going to send you a Taylor Swift shirt. <laughs> I would like to know your thoughts on the halftime show. Honestly? 
I, I, I'm into Usher. I, yeah. I can dig Usher. I can dig Usher. Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, my yeah, problem really, yeah, really... Yeah. Okay. I love it. We want people to listen to this damn thing. My problem, though, with the halftime show, and I can make this quick because there's other things I know I need to get yeah, to. Yeah, we got to get to other stuff, but I did want to touch it. My, my only issue with the halftime show is it got really good at the end, and then it stopped. That was it. It got really good at the end. It got ludicrous. I got, I got all these guys hopping on, bang, 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 and then, then I'm going to commercial, and I'm like, wait, 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 it's over. It did end abruptly. I thought. Uh, I'll tell you. I like to dig Usher. I can no, dig Usher. I love I Usher. Just, I wish Art, Justin Bieber popped out there with him too. That would have been so cool. Here's what I think: Baby is Justin Bieber's song featuring Usher. None of those other songs. It's Usher featuring all these people. Right. Yeah, no. yeah. So that was the only thing I think that I think our generation loved it. And I think the younger generation hated it because they don't know those songs. That's where he played all his bangers. But the younger generation, I think, didn't like it for that reason. They were like, I don't know these songs. But I mean, Usher's 45. He took his shirt off and man, that was that was impressive that he's cut up like that. He still moved like he was 25. And, and I'll tell you, Alicia Keys, man, I got a thing for her. She looked incredible. And she's, I looked her age up. She's 43. It was good for her. Uh, some of the other people, not so much, but <laughs> that was, uh, that was really cool. Um, yeah, I, I like the halftime show as well. I, I know some people didn't. I thought it was, I thought the only thing that was really weird was like the roller skating, but other than like he's versatile yeah i right i can't roller skate so you know good for him for getting on skates <laughs> discover matara's italian market and catering in the heart of rutherford new jersey nestled at 72 park avenue your go-to destination for creating an authentic italian dining experience Recently honored as the best in Bergen County, Matera's is amazing from the moment you step inside. Immerse yourself in a world of imported retail products, cheeses, premium cold cuts, and the freshest baked bread, all complemented by the irresistible creamy fresh mozzarella. Experience convenience at your fingertips by ordering through the Matera's On Park app, available on both Apple and Google stores. Above the market, the loft is perfect for intimate family celebrations or even corporate events. For a sneak peek into Matara's world, follow them on Instagram at Matara's Italian Market. Step into Matara's and say ciao. Walk in as a stranger, leave as family. Let's move to another really big story, Mike. Um, the waste management. The people's open. I love this event. I've been, I've been saying for a long time that I'd like to go to this event when I have February off and I'm able to, you know, able to, to take some days off of work and get there. I would absolutely love to go. But I think, I think we need to talk about it, pulling it back a little bit. It's getting a little too, it's looking a little too far. Uh, if you remember this time last year, we talked about the hole in one. Um, what's the guy took his shirt off? They were chanting, pop that top, pop that top. Harry, Harry, Harry Higgs. Higgs. Harry Higgs. And they were throwing the beer cans. 
And if you remember, I said, like, I don't I don't mind him celebrating. I don't mind the raucousness at 16 to an extent. But you can't be throwing beer cans onto a green when they're competing on that green. So now you have all these dents in the green from these beer cans. And, and I think you were the same way. We didn't like that that part of it, right? I like the celebrations, but we need to we need to be more responsible in that way. You can't be throwing your beers all over and and then expecting play to be this is a tournament right this is their their livelihood that they're playing for right this isn't some charity outing it's not it's not a um a pro-am or anything like that this is big time and on a saturday moving day of a tournament on a hole that's late in the round you're gonna be having these guys be able to throw drinks onto it we just didn't agree with that right you and i both didn't then, how many videos did you see, and you're on your phone a ton more than I am, and I couldn't get away from them, of people being so blacked out drunk that they were just falling all over, passing out, uh, slipping and sliding. You know, they got all the rain, so it's like wet there. I guess they don't get rain ever, so it's funny to them to see people sliding, you know, on, on, wet, on wet grass. Um, and then, and then the, the video that went viral of... Um, what's his name? Played at Florida. Billy Horschel. Billy Horschel. Thank you. Um, where Billy Horschel's like, guys, shut up when he's in his backswing. Like we're trying to work here. And I, I think, I, I don't know how to fix it. Cause again, haven't been there. Don't know. Maybe there's not enough. Is there not enough police there? Is there not enough marshals there? Is there, uh, like, I, I don't know, but there's certain things that like, we need to remember that these guys are, are playing and working. This is their this is their livelihood, and there's certain things. And while I'm all for golf being more inclusive, we've talked about like the music, these kind of hoodies with like the the, the hood. Like we've talked about that endlessly. Totally for more casual golf. When you're at a professional golf level, there needs to be some kind of decorum about not not altering the the outcome more or less of of the game. And talking during someone's backswing, throwing stuff on the course that's going to interfere. I, I think it's gotten a little too far, and I think we need to pull pull it back just a touch. Again, I love the party. I love the celebrations. Um, I, I think uh, I think I had some some insight on some on some jersey appearances that were going to come out on the 16th hole if people were you know had made the cut, but. Um, you know, I, I I think we need to pull back a little bit. The, the fans do. I'm not saying the pros do. The fans do. It's getting yeah, a little know, out of control. Do you right? know how they're going to pull back? They're going to they're going to not allow as many people in. I'm sure. Those, no, the stars aren't going to go there. That's what's going to come back. It's going. You know, what's going to come back is if the if the waste management is not a signature event. And think about where it was scheduled this year. It was piggybacked in between two. You got Pebble, you got Waste, and then you got Tigers event this coming week, right? And the way so this next, wasn't an elevated event? No, no, oh, okay. no. So when you think about it, you know what those guys like Zach Johnson who was getting ridiculed by oh. fans when you got Billy Horschel screaming at people, you got fans doing a, a snow angels in the bunker on 16. Oh, that was atrocious. You, you got, you, it, it That's turns where we need like, to, we need to make an example of that kind of guy. Like I, I'm not, I'm not advocating for like, like it's police hard when they're violence all like or anything that. like that. But, but that guy needs like to be that. tased in public. And they're all like that. That that's the draw to this tournament. Is that's the unfortunate thing? Is like 
you try to push it so far to where it's more of the modern day golfer. Have fun, drink, music, the whole nine. The problem ends up, no offense, it's, it's, we say it all the time, whether in your profession or outside of your profession, like even adults just don't know when to stop. They don't. Yeah. And that's, and that's ultimately like, there's only or one no, person to blame. It's you. Yeah. It's nobody. Yeah. It's like, listen, let's have fun, but let's not be idiots. The problem is that some people don't got a lot of care about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think ultimately what's going to happen is you're not going to see those guys. Zach Johnson, he ain't going to go back there. No chance. Billy Horschel, he's not going to go bet. back there. I'll bet that before I bet Tiger to win the Masters. There's no chance right. Zach Johnson's there next but there, year. But there's no reason any of those guys want to go there. Even Justin Thomas said it got out of control. And Justin Thomas, like, he's Loves one of the top. Yeah, he's, he's one of the big boys. Names. Yeah. Jordan Spieth, like, these guys, he's Jordan Spieth gets yelled at in the backswing on the 18th hole of his second or third round and drops the club and yells and says, like, what the F? Like, the problem ends up being is, like, it's all of them. And they're not going to go to these events regardless if it's the people's open, if it's solely, so highly publicized because – they're not going to want to deal with that nonsense. At the end of the day, it is my job. It's my career. I I need to put money. I need to make some money to put food on the table. So, like, yes, you know what it's end up going to do? It's going to be for guys like Joel Damon who barely makes cuts. That this is where they're going to go. Right. And and that's fine. It's good for Joel Damon. It's good for all these other guys. But you're not going to get the big name guys to go there because it's turning into a scene and not a an environment that where you can play golf. Right. The the inmates are starting to run the asylum there is what's happening. And it's Yeah, I was thoroughly disappointed if you ask me. I, I actually was I was really like I, I felt like an old guy there, but then I was like, I'm not really an old guy because these guys are acting like absolute morons and yeah. you're ruining it for everybody. And that's mm -hmm. what sucks. I, I I was not a fan of the week. I'm glad Nick Taylor won. I'm glad that week's over with because I, I'm not a I'm just personally you couldn't pay me to go to that. You couldn't pay me to go out there. I had such a bad taste in my mouth after after this one. Um, again, like having to shut down alcohol sales because things have gotten too out of control. Uh, yeah, I, I uh, again, like you said, disappointing because it it should be a good time. It really it it had a really good run recently of of being a really fun environment. Like that sixteenth hole is is a really cool environment. Even going back, I don't know how many years ago was it, where like Ricky was like, no, raise the, raise the crowd noise. Like, yeah. I mean, Tiger Woods made a whole one there back in the day. At, at, right. At, you know what? I, I That's saw where he that. raised the roof and Tiger raised the roof. That raised was there. The, yeah. That was there at the Phoenix open. Mm -hmm. Is so that, it's not, and it's did he make a hole in one on the 16th hole? Yes, that's where it's he Where there's no, there's no yes. grandstand around, right? Yeah. That, yeah so, like, look where it's come day. to, right? It's yeah, come it's to, like, we've built this. This is the this is the amphitheater, the Coliseum of golf. Uh, and, I, and I like that. I, I do. You got guys that come out with, like, different stuff. They come out of the tunnel. They get changed or, or whatever the case is. But there's... There's you can have fun, but you gotta. You, there's got to be some intelligence behind it, and there's just there's just too many idiots. And as with everything, the mass, uh, the few are gonna ruin it for the mass because you got Sucks. a few idiots that are gonna that are gonna drink too much, that are do, do snow angels in there, that are you know a bunch of guys are gonna throw their beers on a hole in one la like last year. It just it, it's. It ruined the event. I hate right. to say it. And, and I, I once said it just ruined it. Yeah. But, but I do like the part where like you hit a shot, everyone's quiet, hit a shot, ball hits, it checks too much and rolls off the green and everyone boos. I love that. That's great fun. 
That's go for it. it. Go for Fine. it. Right. They cheer. They get crazy when it goes wild, but you can't go crazy and then start throwing shit. It's it's yeah. yeah. Like you said, disappointing. And, and I had a bad taste in my mouth after this one. And I, I do hope that it can fix it because I think it is an awesome, uh, it's, it's the only time in golf that we see this and I'd like it to stay around, but you see what happens that it's a, a fine line between, between where it has gotten and and where it needs to be so but so hopefully uh nick taylor winning is great i did see this scotty scheffler number one player in the world the amount of time from now until like the end of his run to tie Tiger Woods. Did you see this? I'm sure you did because you see everything on the internet. 20, we're in 2024. In 2035, I forget the date, but in 2035, he would tie Tiger Woods' like streak of being number one in the world. You talk about you talk about records in sports that are not going to be broken. That's number one. Someone's going to score 100 points in basketball, right? You get Luka Don- – I'm not saying they're doing it every night, but they've had seven or eight games of 70 points this year in the NBA already. And the NBA's, you know, a little more than halfway over or halfway over wherever it is in the NBA season. Like, it's going to happen. Someone's scoring 100 points, right? Someone's going to break the score. Like, LeBron just broke Will Chamberlain's scoring record. Um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's scoring record. Uh, uh, hockey. Uh, what's his name? Ovechkin is going gonna, is gonna to break um, Wayne Gretzky's goal record. right? The points one, probably never going to be broken because that his points record in hockey, I don't know much about hockey, but if you take away all of his goals, he still has more points than anyone ever, which is which is crazy. But like, the fact that he like there's just certain ones that are going to be that are never going to be broken. Tiger dominated. We talk about how dominant Scotty Scheffler is without a putter, you know, mind you. He's got to do it for another eleven years. Another eleven years he has to do. He has to be as good as he is. That is, that's crazy. And how long has he been world number one for? It's not like uh, he just got it and it's like, hey, we just started the clock. It, it's like it's been the last yeah. year. Yeah, be, somewhere between him, Rom, and, and Rory McIlroy, they were you know, going back and forth depending on who the hot streak was. Right. But to your point, I just think that further proves why Tiger's the best ever. And I know <laughs> I get it. He doesn't have the majors record. I understand that. I know Jack does, and I know that's something that Tiger will always be bothered by. But when you think – about pure, utter dominance. Think about careers that were ruined because of him. Ernie Els would have been the man. Phil Mickelson That's what I was saying man. before. Without Tiger Woods, I, I said PJ Michael Singh Jordan been before. The man. Yeah. We could go on a, on a tangent. Of Those guys, guys would have all been sharing, sharing majors. David Duvall. David Duvall. Be, you know, and, and then who's the guy that Tiger beat uh, nine and eight in, the, in whatever that was? That guy... Never had a career, you know. Yeah, this. I I think that that's just that's just crazy, and I think that um, yeah, I think that's never going to be broken. That that's one that's never someone will beat Pete Rose's hit streak. Uh, 
or, or Joe DiMaggio's hit streak, Pete Rose's total hits. Nobody's ever ever going to be world number one for 13 years in a row or whatever it is for Tiger. Um, I heard someone say this. I think I have the quote right. That Tiger is – that Jack is the best golfer of all time and Tiger's the most dominant. Do I have that flipped? No, that would make sense. No, I, th- I think that was or- it. But because like you're no given, doubt he's the most dominant because you're given you're given both players their due right like yeah I mean listen on top of Jack's all the majors that he won obviously it's more than Tiger think about how many runner ups Jack has on he top has, of that I thought I saw did I see the number right of thirty five he has thirty five or maybe it's combined he's got eighteen majors right and maybe seventeen runner ups and then maybe uh, that's it yeah nonetheless have to whatever the numbers up. yeah whatever the numbers are it's just I mean. Jack, it's not like Jack was just this one-hit wonder that just won the majors. Like the dude was always in contention too. Right. And and to his credit, he had other guys in his era that just like that. But I think the difference really between Jack and Tiger for people like us is we live Tiger. Like, yeah. Tiger was us, and you sat down on Sundays and you turned Tiger on, even if you weren't a golf fan. Or like, Tiger you turned you watch on. Tiger. I turned Tiger on because I watched that thing. I mean, <laughs> uh, um, Mike, one other thing I wanted to mention, really, uh, I, I guess we got a couple of housekeeping things. I know you got a question that you want to get into, but I got two more housekeeping things. Uh, I, I'm terrible at Spanish, but we got to give this guy a shout out. Christabel de Soler shot a 57 on the Corn Ferry Tour. Did you see this? I'm sure. Again, why do I ask? Um, the thing about it, again, <laughs> crazy stat. I, the thing about it, I wanted to ask you: Do you care that it's on a par seventy? Um, do I care that it's on a par seventy? No, right? I don't, because shooting fifty-seven is shooting fifty-seven. Now, I know when you saw, and I don't. Again, I don't know in terms of what you saw, but. With the elevation changes at where they were playing, and I believe it was in Costa Rica, it translated to like a par, like a par seventy, but it was only sixty two hundred yards. So it was a much, much, much shorter golf course than what the number on the card. Entailed. Oh, like with the elevation change, like it might have right. been a par, like it might have been seven thousand yards, but because you're hitting in the altitude, you're hitting it. Okay, yeah. So, but still. To put the ball in the hole only 57 times. And you know what the crazy part about it is? Not only did that guy shoot 57, but two days later, did you see what the, another guy shot? 59. Wow. So there was two sub-60s in the same tournament. That's crazy. Over the weekend. Yeah. Nuts. Yeah. Nuts. Sub-60, I don't care. It's in a professional golf tournament. The pressure's there. You still got to put the ball in the damn hole. Like, it's not you and I. It's money's on the line. Big time money. My career, my life. I've 57 on one day, 59 two days later. That's crazy. And shout out to Morgan Hoffman. Made his first cut of the of the, tourna- of the Corn Ferry Tour this year. Attaboy, so, Morgan. Shout, shout out to Morgan. You know, kind of struggled the first two events, but kind of got back on the saddle a little bit for this. I think that's going to take some time, right? That's like, uh, you know, it's, it's like riding a bike but you know even even the first time you get on you're a little wobbly so i imagine he's he's gonna have to get in there so uh i was interested more on the on the 70 uh because 
even if you give him and you make it a par 72, he still shot a 59. Whereas like that 59, you put the two shots on, it becomes a 61, not a sub 70. So that was more what I was, what I was kind of thinking if, you know, how you thought of it there. Yeah. Listen, it's, listen, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's a beyond impressive feat. Um, and, and kudos to him for, for going really as low as he did, because that's, that's really super, super cool. Uh, last thing I want to tease March madness. We got coming out. Mike and I are still working on some details here, trying to figure some things out, but, uh, what we can tell you is we are going to try to do a live draft of our courses that we want to play in 2024. Uh, let me public. rephrase public courses. We want to play in 2024 that we haven't played. And, and we've, we've kind of, you know, in a while is how we determined it. Um, I would say somewhere between we haven't played in the last 12 to 18 months. I think that's probably a fair range in terms of spots that are going to be in the list that we draft up. Yeah. To me, I say 2021 would be fair play. 2022 would be out of play for me. That's that's what I – so Mike and I are going back and forth with that. But we're going to have it coming back. The March Madness 2024, uh, we, got something, we got something cooking. So – Stay tuned for that. And and like I said, we're going to try to do something that's not an episode uh, or not part of an episode, you know, this this little draft. So, again, stay tuned. Stay tuned. We got stuff coming for you. We got yeah, stuff I coming think, up. I, I, think, I think it's going to be, you know, like anything, we're going to try something new. Last year's March Madness was a hit. We ended up going to play the winner, which was Seaview Bay, and, and we went out there. We got to experience it. We got to play it. And, and I think – Kind of a similar model is going to be shared with this one, mm -hmm. where it'll really be like my teams versus your teams, and the fans and the audience and the listeners get to vote as to who moves on, and then somehow, some way, we need to either truck it north, south, east, or west to go to that spot and and tee it high and let it fly. So yeah. it's it's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. And it gives everybody some ways to engage and, and interact and, and share their opinions on it, frankly. Yeah. So uh, obviously like to our rules, Seaview Bay, not going to be on this list because both of us played it when we, when it won last year. So stay tuned. We got some things coming, things up our sleeve. Uh, Mike, we are actually recording this uh, on Monday. Uh because we are waiting for Tiger to come on with his press conference. First time we're going to see him. He's going to release the clothing brand. He's going to talk about his, his tournament. He's going to talk to us about who's on his bag. He's going he's gonna to update us with Tiger um, in, in his press conference. So uh, you got some predictions? What are you hearing? You, you know, you're, you're our scoops guy, so who you got? What do you, well, what you got there? To, to, to your point here, he's, he's named his caddy for the week, okay? So he's come out, and he's kind of chosen who's going to work for him for this week. Now, it hasn't been stated that the guy will be on the bag after this week, but his caddy for this week is Lance Bennett. Now, Again, you probably don't know who Lance Bennett is. He's not like this household name, but no offense, neither was Stevie Williams. 
Neither maybe Joe Lacava was because he was on Freddie's bag, but like guys like that, we probably didn't really know who we were. Lance Bennett is the former caddy for Matt Kuchar. Um, he's worked on other people's bags like Sung JM, Davis Riley. He's kind of spent some time in the LPGA tour um, with Paula Kramer and Lorena Ochoa. So he's been around the block. And, and this season, he's actually on the bag for the Corn Ferry Tours Player of the Year from last season. He goes by ACDC. Um, I really can't pronounce his name. It's the Belgian golfer um, who played at Illinois last year. I can't really oh, pronounce his yeah, name. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tall dude, can really uh, golf and yep. really play. Hits it far. Bombs it. And the yeah. reason why he's not caddying for him this week is because this is a signature event. This kid was not invited or didn't qualify to make it. And, hey, this guy was available. So he's on Tiger's bag for this week. And there's rumors circulating that Lance will stay on the bag for Augusta as well as the players, because ACDC is not in either of those two events as well. Now, if he wins at another event throughout the season before those two start, he would be exempted to playing them. But as of this moment, he is not eligible to play in them. So I think that's kind of where Tiger's going. He's jumping, he's getting a veteran caddy on his bag. Um, and, you know, I, you know, I, do I know anything about him? I don't. Um, so it's kind of a, interesting grab but you kind of thought that he was going to have to go a veteran route knowing how tiger is yeah did uh did you or i uh did you send out our resumes like i had asked to, to fax them over to tiger or or scan them over i just did dm'd him um but i did check i dm'd him to him but i did notice that he has not opened my dm yet so um mm -hmm. not sure if he'll get around to that before the players or augusta but it's in there okay I know you like the DMs, but maybe this is one where we got to we got to fax something or or carrier pigeon. I, we need something a little different. Well, I mean, the way I communicate with people is strictly DMs or text messages. And until Tiger wants to share his number with me, which he probably never will, I'm just going to keep DMing because there's got to be one time he accidentally clicks the wrong button and then he sees it, and then I can just jump for joy that Tiger Woods actually read my message. <laughs> That would be on your Mount Rushmore. It's like wedding, birth of your two kids, Tiger seeing a DM that you sent him but not responding. <laughs> yeah, and I mean it's crazy that you said it because it, it we are recording this on on Monday. It's it's almost ten after seven, and, and part of the reason why we decided to wait for this was because we were waiting to see what Tiger was going to unveil with his Sunday red, and, it, and we were kind of like live in terms of going through this as. I keep refreshing my mm -hmm. Twitter handle. And from what I'm gathering is that there is not even a live feed going to be shared with people about what's going on at his event. That is literally going to be coming from either someone tweeting it or someone putting it out there or someone leaking it. Because right now, there's nothing. Mm. There's nothing. And obviously, California, it's a different time. And, you know, Got to probably take that for what it's worth, but you know, to Tiger's point today, you know, Wednesday yeah. he is having his press conference, so you'll probably see what he's wearing there as well. Yeah. So that stuff will come out, Mike, and and we'll, you know, we'll just have to roll with it. We tried, but uh, and I know that's going to end it here for us. Um, you got anything else? You got any other anything up your sleeve? You want to? Uh, 
No, listen. I mean, Tiger's teeing it up this weekend. You know who's going to be glued to the TV is this guy. And and listen, like the old adage goes, you might want to sprinkle a few bucks on the big cat. Thank me later. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, thanks for hanging around. Um, stay tuned. Stay with us. We're going to send you to our interview with Brian Doherty right now. Again, incredible interview. We we talked with Brian for quite you know a little over an hour, and, and it was again. As with everybody, Mike, we say super easy conversation. He's he's a great dude, um, incredible instructor, um, player out, coming out of Hollywood. He's their uh, their DOI director of instruction there at Hollywood Golf Club. Um, and again, I, I got I got I'm running out of positive adjectives here. It was just just incredible. So stick around for our interview with Brian Doherty. Enjoy. Comstock Yacht Sales has been the Jersey Shore's number one boat dealer since 1973. Did you know that Comstock now has two on-water sales locations to better serve the boaters across New Jersey? Their full-service marina is located at 704 Princeton Avenue in Bricktown, and their all-new sales location can be found at Navisink Marina in Seabright. Comstock currently carries some of the best boat brands manufactured today. The team at Comstock is proud to be New Jersey dealers for Regulator Center consoles, Grady White Boats, Tiara Yachts, Seapro, Four Winds, and MGM Yachts. If you're looking for a new or pre-owned boat or looking for help selling your current boat, Comstock Yacht Sales is the place to go. Go online to see their full new boat lineup or stop into one of their two locations today. They can be found at ComstockMarina.com. That's ComstockMarina.com. Or for immediate sales assistance, text them now at 732-604-1237. That's 732-604-1237. So today's guest is one of Golf Digest's best young teachers in America. He's also the Director of Instruction at Hollywood Golf Club. Today's guest is Brian Darty. Brian, thank you so much for coming on today's show. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Happy yeah. to be on. Yeah, I mean, we're on like a little bit of a Hollywood kick here. Um, <laughs> you know, last week we had Danny on, and obviously I know Danny's kind of moved on to, you know, a, a new place. You know, I'm not necessarily going to say greener pastures because I think we all know what Hollywood is like. Um, but to your point, I mean – I'm I'm kind of interested to dive into the director side of things because the golf swing is so so unique in so many ways. But before I you know jump to that, why don't you give the audience a little bit of background about you, how you got into the game, where you're from, um, and what kind of led you to more of the teaching side of things? Yeah, no, it's an interesting story for me. It's like a uh, slightly original or a little bit different than most of the golf teachers that you that you talk to. Um, I grew up in Heightstown, New Jersey. So that's kind of the Princeton, Princeton, area, Princeton, uh -huh. Princeton, Trenton area, Mercer <laughs> County. Um, my wife and I moved out to San Diego. We used to tell people uh, if we wanted to sound, you know, really good. We said Princeton. If we wanted to sound, you know, like uh, <laughs> at home, we said Trenton. But it's the same thing. Um, <laughs> that's great. So, yeah. So I grew up as an athlete. Like golf wasn't part of it. Didn't start golf until like my teenage years. Uh, picked up a set and kind of had some fun at it. You know, the local county courses over there in Mercer County, but wasn't real serious about golf until my wife and I moved out to California after college. And uh, I worked in restaurants all my life. So I got a job as 
a bartender and server at the Bridges in Rancho Santa Fe, which is an unbelievable, awesome place out in San Diego. You know, Phil Mickelson and Jeff Ogilvy, Charlie Hoffman, like a bunch of celebrities members there. And it was like a it was a shock to me. Like I've never been in that world before. And then the golf course is like a canyon golf course. You have these huge suspension bridges. They did the battle at the bridges for like three years, I think, where uh, under the lights, you know, Mickelson mm-hmm. versus Tigers, two-man teams. It was a lot of fun. And um, one day I just kind of – I was getting more into golf out there. I was playing a lot of golf. It was, um, And I kind of asked the director of golf and the GM if it would be okay for me to do half and half. Like, hey, let me work some outside services while I'm still doing my shifts. Uh, food and beverage wise. And he said, yeah, have at it. And so I started working, you know, cleaning carts, cleaning clubs, getting the course ready, doing all that stuff, valeting cars. And I just, you know, kind of fell in love with it out there. So I was like 23, 24 and just kind of fell into the game. The game came, we'll say not easy, but it wasn't ever like, I wasn't struggling to break a hundred when I started. So it was like, I could play a little golf. I seemed to love it, love being outside. I'm always an outdoors person. And um, so I started shadowing all the golf coaches I could find in San Diego. Um, and just kind of figured like, I kind of put, <laughs> I sat down with the director of golf, Steve Wilson, he's an awesome guy. And I kind of sat down and said, Hey, can you just lay out for me what you've done in your life to get to where you are right now? Cause the director of golf, this place seems like where I want to be eventually. And we kind of just laid it out. Like he started in Jersey, went to Maryland, went to a bunch of these great clubs. And he kind of told me like how I need to work my way up if I want to be there. And so I just started the process and, um, <laughs> That's kind of how it all started. Got my first job as an assistant pro at Maselm Springs in Pennsylvania. It's in Fleetwood, Pennsylvania, between Reading and Allentown. One of the best golf courses you'll ever play. I think they're public now, but as a piece of property, it's phenomenal. Uh, Eric Schillinger was my boss, another great mentor that I've had. And then we kind of just kept moving on from there, uh, um, kind of on the head pro track, right? So took job at Maselm Springs, Navasink Country Club, Ridgewood. And now I'm at Hollywood, but it was always to be a head pro. And, but I would still spend all my time and money learning how to become a better teacher and coach. So I'd go shadow teachers. I would take lessons. I would go to seminars. I'd get certifications. Meanwhile, I'm an assistant pro who spends the majority of his time teaching. You know, I was going on all these interviews for head pro jobs at great clubs, had one offer on the table, um, turned that one down. But then eventually the ter- the tipping point for me to get more into coaching as a career there were two things, TPI. So Dave Phillips is one of the TPI guys, right? And he was a member at the Bridges. And I didn't know anything about this back then. I didn't realize that I heard he was a great golf coach. He's on this top 100 list, but I didn't know golf yet, right? I didn't know there was a business that you could be making out of teaching. I thought the business was the golf shop side, right? Where you're the head pro, the director of golf. I had no idea that teaching was even a part of the business. Fast forward to when I go out to my first, uh, my level one seminar at TPI, like maybe five years after I left the bridges and there's Dave Phillips. I'm like, and I kind of all of a sudden made the connection like, oh, this could be a business. He was a member of this place that costs, I mean, a couple bucks to get into. And um, I kind of made that connection. I'm already teaching a lot. And then the final straw was actually, it was a head pro interview that I went on at a course where I had some ins to get to the interview. Um, I knew a bunch of the board members, knew a bunch of the members. And I thought, you know, going into it, I did all my prep. I was a shoe in for this to get at least to like the final interview. And I didn't get to the final interview and I kind of didn't know why. And they, I'm always asking for feedback. So when they asked for feedback, he flat told me like, they don't have a range. He goes, listen, you have a reputation for teaching already. We know you're going to want to teach. Um, you're going to want to be on the range. 
and we just don't have that here for you. And we know you're going to be a great pro here. You would be great, but we just know like, and I didn't say, I didn't lead into that interview at all saying that, but he just kind of knew from a reputation standpoint and that kind of hit home with me. And then uh, Kevin Wyneth at Hollywood is, is super, um, he gives us a lot of freedom to teach when our, when we have our off time and I was teaching a lot at Hollywood and then all of a sudden COVID hit and I'm teaching all the time. And then I kind of just, we kind of talked about it and we parlayed it into this director of instruction role. And we hired one more pro and it kind of take my place. And it kind of just morphed itself into this perfect sit role that I've got at Hollywood right now. And I've always taught the majority of my time and now it's the full time and I get to kind of mentor other young coaches and I bring in guest instructors and now I can commit every, all my time to it. And it's been so much fun these last five years doing it full time. And it's, uh, it's kind of like a slightly abnormal path, but because I started a little late and did the head pro thing for a while. And now it's, I mean, I love coaching. I do long-term coaching plans. I do the, the I, I do one-offs. I do beginners, do amateurs, do, you know, it's everybody. And it's, it's so much fun. And I love what I do. Right. When did that, that transition happen? So like after COVID, like you're an assistant at Hollywood and then, and then you become the DOI. Is that, is that 21, 22? Yeah. Like, what, so what year was that? I think that was 20, what year was COVID? When did that start? March of 20? 2020. So that was when the actual title came about, right? So the year before, um, I had tr I had tried to, I kind of sat down with our head pro and our GM and said, hey, like, I kind of want to do this full time. Like, what roles can I do? And they said, listen, you're important to the role you have right here. Please, we'll, we'll make enough time for you to teach as much as you can. I said, okay, great. I'm still putting out articles, doing videos, stuff like that. And I think in the fall of 19, I started an Instagram account to do some like swing to you know, do the video tips just to learn the, the system. And then the shop manager and the young assistant we had were doing all my videos for me because I didn't know how to edit anything. I didn't know anything about Instagram. didn't know anything about anything. And then COVID hit. And my wife is essentially an essential employee. She works for New Jersey Transit. And she, when it, COVID hit and we got locked down for a couple months, she was in the bedroom. She closed the door, did all her work. And I had the two kids. They're four and one years old. So I'm like, I'm running like a madman. But every nap time, I would go in our backyard and film like five, six videos. So I started this Instagram account. By October, it got like, I don't know, five, six, seven thousand followers. And all of a sudden it's like, this is something, right? So I, before I went back to Hollywood as like the lead assistant, sometime during that, that break, I think I was talking to GM and it was one of those things like the clubs were all going about how they were going to figure out COVID, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I kind of sold it as like, hey, you can keep my salary off the books now. Just let me do my own thing. And it was like, oh, all right. Well, yeah, I guess you're already doing that full time. And then we kind of just figured out a structure that could make that work. And it ended up uh, working out. And like I said, Hollywood's a great place with a great management team. And it's they helped me out a lot to do what I wanted to do. They're always supportive of me. And COVID just kind of was that last final straw that like financially it worked more for them. And it worked more for me time-wise and financially. And it just kind of all worked out perfectly. Yeah, what a better facility. Uh, like you're second to none there. That range is impressively large. The yeah. clubhouse being right there, it's a it's – a tremendous facility that you got to just be your playground. Yeah. The, the, the superintendent there is one of the best, I mean, around and the range is no joke, right? It's, it's manicured, like, you know, like greens on some courses and you're hitting off the, you know, you're hitting these perfect golf balls up this perfect mat. And, you know, we have mats to use, but the grass is so good and there's so much of it that we never really have to go on. So when we redid that range years ago, it was like a selling point. Like, Hey, we're only going to be on mats in the off season. Like, we will have you on grass all the time. And it really is. It's, it's a nice, 
thing when people come from other clubs and they practice and they come for a lesson it's they marvel at the range you know we've had myself and some of the other assistant pros actually have lessons where people come just to hit balls off the range like you're getting pro v1s <laughs> off of perfect grass like that just doesn't happen here in the northeast yeah it's uh it's so rare with the outdoor ranges closing now that it's like people just want to hit outside mm -hmm. I, i've been that... fortunate enough to play the course a few times and uh got to use the range you know, once or twice and it's the same thing like i'm hitting hitting balls and i know that you're supposed to not really you know take up grass but like i'm sitting over a ball and i go i don't want to hurt this grass it looks too perfect right now <laughs> i've had so many people say that same thing it's like one of those beginner things when you get into golf too it's like you don't understand first of all you under you got to teach them like what the club and ball like relationship supposed to be like but then mm -hmm. it's like yeah you're supposed to touch some grass after the ball and it's okay if you take some grass up and then you see the face when you, i always think it's like a motherly thing too sometimes where you get um I have my, one of my mother's friends started with me. Uh, she just retired from the schools and she was deathly afraid of taking a divot. And she kind of, we got, got down to it once. So like she's got this great garden in the backyard. She takes pride in her grass. And then you get on the Hollywood's grass on the range. And she just doesn't want to touch it. Doesn't want to touch it. Doesn't want to touch it. At that point, I'll take a lesson and I'll take out my wedge and I'll go to like, I would already kind of beat up part of the range, like in the corner. And I'll just take this huge divot. And I'll hit a perfect shot with it and I'll see their face. I'll look over their big buck eyed, like, oh my God, what'd you do? I'm like, no, that's okay. Look, look what the ball did. Yeah. And they go, I didn't even see the ball. I just saw what you did. I said, okay, now we're going to do this one more time. This time you watch the ball and they make the same pivot and they watch it fly and it's perfect. Like, and they kind of do that little side head tilt, like, huh. So they all need those little moments, but it's true. That, that happens all the time when you yeah. get in that manicured grass. It happens even when you play golf, right? You play in this nice course, you're in this perfectly manicured fairway. Like, how often do you end up hitting thin shots compared to like, the normal, like you're on a public golf course where the the fairways haven't been cut in five days and you're like hitting off a mat, it's fine taking divots. And then you go to these perfectly manicured courses, and all of a sudden you're hitting thin shots and you don't know why. I can't tell you how many times I do that. Like my very first shot at Pinehurst, I pipe the drive down. I'm in the middle of the fairway and I'm like, I don't, again, I, I, I want to hit this. Uh, I don't want to mess up any of the grass. You couldn't just see a divot around. Just, yeah. putt just putt it. Yeah. And the just same thing, it, yeah, same thing at Hollywood. Not just, not just the range. Yeah, not and not just the range in Hollywood. It's it's everywhere at Hollywood. The, the place yeah. is you have a, a very special location there. It's tremendous. Yeah, now, yeah. I guess I, let's talk a little bit about your game too. I mean, like for someone yeah. like you that is so deep into the golf swing and you 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 know you're so knowledgeable about it. How does that translate to your game specifically? Like, are you still focused on playing? state tournaments and the NJ, New Jersey sectional events, like, is that still a high priority on someone like your agenda or is it strictly like, you know what, I want to better you guys. I'm focusing more on you. And, and if my golf game suffers, well, so be it. That's just kind of the nature of the business. Oh, it's, it's funny. Like it's a funny circle that I go around. Right. So my wife laughs about it in the fall. I'll kind of tie her in a second. It's, I love golf, right? I got into the game because I loved playing the game. And then I figured out how to make a career out of that, right? So if you if you lose kind of that passion for playing for the game, we work so many hours on these holidays and weekends and off time and like sending videos at home to people when I can't do it in front of them. Like it's so much time. If you if you stop playing the game, you stop loving the game, you'll, you'll probably end up losing a little bit of passion for the career, right? So playing is still a passion of mine and I still try to play as best I can. Now the two things of having kids and now teaching more often, the game suffered. Like for sure, it's gotten, um, I've had a bunch of wins, but they're all like the one day wins in New Jersey PGA. I haven't like done, mm -hmm. haven't had a lot of success in these three day tournaments because it's really hard for me to 
be as consistent as a Danny Lewis who you have the podcast where you play with him and it's like the dude just doesn't miss fairways and greens like it's hard to keep up when I'm <laughs> I'm curving balls out of the trees and saving pars that's fine right. but um it's one of those like I still I I never mind when somebody like cancels last minute on me right so I've had a full book for forever four years now like when somebody cancels great I got an hour to practice like I love it I'll go to our, our we have a great short game area I'll go down there and practice so every year I want to play really well and I work my butt off in the winter to try to make my golf swing a little bit better. Um, it is what it is. It's not going to get a lot better, but I want to play better. So usually I'm okay in like May and June. And then July, August come, my game starts to kind of just take this little slide. And then usually like section championship time, my game's awful in September, October. It's just, it's like the same cycle every year. And then every, every, I think every year after our section championship, because I've never once qualified for the national championship, which annoys me beyond belief. <laughs> and I go home to my wife and say, listen, I can't keep doing this. This mediocre golf just isn't as much fun for me. Like I want to play at a high level and I'm really going to work at it this year. And she just gives me the old eye roll. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. you say that. But I also, I'm going to coach my kids' teams. I'm going to put in extra hours for my players. Uh, it's like one of those things, like it's just, there's only so much you can do, right? So no doubt. I'm, no doubt. the focus has shifted mainly from to short game and putting for me when I practice, right? So when you don't have time to manicure the full swing, like I'm making a small adjustment for myself on the full swing this winter. But it's the touch stuff that goes away when you don't practice the chip. You, you can't predict that first bounce on the green when you can't, when you don't have good speed control. Like if you lose speed control in the greens, you're three putting more often from 20 feet than you are one putting. And it's one of those things like those are the stuff that goes away where you can keep scores in control. So now that I can practice less, the game is still a priority. I had have had to shift the kind of priority in my practice, right? So when I was at Navisink as an assistant before we had kids, I was a sunrise practicer every, you know, not every day, like four or five days a week. I'm there hitting balls before anybody gets there. And I loved that. And I wish I could do that more, but I like taking the kids to school now. So it's like, and I accommodate for early lessons. That's never going to happen. So I just shift my, shift my priorities. But man, if you, if you were, I mean, you guys know, right? If you, whatever level you've gotten to in your game, you're constantly trying to get back there. And mm -hmm. then you get to that level, you're just going to keep trying to get better. And so it's, it's definitely one of those things that, there's still a passion for it. And uh, I just want to win one of these majors one day, man. One of these three-day tournaments. Like, these one-dayers are great. They're fun. It's cool. But just give me a three-day. I got to work harder, though. So I, I hear you so much when you say the priority thing because I got two girls that are 12 and 9, and, and I played college golf. I loved it, lived it. That's all I would do. And I would play probably 50 rounds in a year. And then my wife and I had kids, and I literally would go cold turkey. And, and if I got out once on Father's Day, that mm -hmm. was a lot. And then yeah. COVID hit, and I literally said to her, I said, I'm kind of getting the itch a little bit to go play again. I know I haven't really played a lot, and if I got five times, that was a great amount. And then COVID hit to, to, to your point, and it was like, I went and dabbled a little bit, tried to qualify for this, tried to qualify that, and then, then I got lucky and qualified for the state open, and was like, okay, this is actually fun. This yeah. is, and then the juices get going, and then it's like, I, now I just get, now I full on, I'm 40, and I got the itch like you can't imagine. Like oh, I, I hate imagine. being in New Jersey. I hate being, I want, I want sunshine. I want 80 degree weather. I want to be in shorts. So like, I get it when you say the priorities and you're trying to balance it out because you know, like I even said in the pre-show, like it's like playing Tetris. Like it is like playing Tetris, trying mm -hmm. to fit every little piece into every little puzzle and maximizing that 24 hours in every day to the best yeah. you can. And, and, and I get it what you're saying and, and, and matching all that up, but what, uh, yeah, it's hard. What state open did you qualify for? The Ridge at Backbrook. Oh, so it was a brutal one. Yeah, about <laughs> two. 
that was so that that was a fun one for me so first of all it was like 100 degrees those days right oh my and that, that course is not that course is not meant to walk so oh, nope so <laughs> it, first of all it's it's on my list of my top 10 courses i was doing a buddy of mine last night our, our best new jersey courses i love the place so i had broken my left pinky finger um in what state opens state opens july so in early may i broke my left pinky finger i'm like oh it's a pinky finger i've never broken a bone I'm like it healed in like six weeks. First time I pick up a golf club, I learned how much the left pinky finger has to do with the golf swing. It actually, it, it picks up the club. So all the pressure on the bottom of your left hand is what is going to pick up the club in the backswing. So I go to pick up a club and swing it. And I'm like, I can't swing it. It opens in two weeks. I'm like, all right, well, let's figure out how to do this. So I ended up playing with a split grip uh, in the state wow. open. So I had to split Whoa. my hands up. Uh, I think I shot like 77, 75 and missed the cut by one or two. It was fine. But I, I, my son had walked around. He's five years old. He walked and followed me the whole day. And uh, the conditions, that course, brutal. But he just wanted to watch me play. He ended up following me in the ninth hole. I have this cool memory with him now where it was my ninth hole of the day, second round. I hit a great drive, and he's just walking with me down the fairway. He's like looking at bugs and stuff and butterflies. And, um, doing five-year-old stuff. Doing five-year-old stuff, right? I had uh, It was like 105 to a back left hole. I hit like a little sand wedge, and he was like standing right next to me as I'm getting ready. I'm like, hey, Declan, just kind of back up a step or two. And uh, my caddy, who was a buddy of mine, because I didn't take my normal caddy. I let my buddy caddy for me because I knew I'm playing with a split grip. Hadn't played in three months. Like, I'm probably not going to make the cut here. Let's just have some fun. And um, I end up hitting this like little knockdown draw, one hop, and then in the hole. And it, it's like, oh, everybody celebrates, like, oh, oh. And my, my guy's looking around, like, what, why is everybody jumping? Why is everybody I'm like, it's an eagle? He goes, eagle? Is that better than birdie? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's better than birdie. He goes, well, why don't you just do that every time? Like, well, you know, I'm doing my best, man. I'm trying. Oh, one eagle. I think that's pretty good for swinging like this. And one guy in my group turns back to me and says, dude, just split your grip all the time, man. He plays with the yeah. And I'm like, yeah, maybe I should just try this. And then I did try it again, and it didn't work. But yeah, that's, that's it, was, great. it was a fun little like that was a fun tournament it was a brutal tournament but it was fun lewis yeah. kelly and jason gore just like they were playing a different golf course a different game than the rest of us that week i i just you know i i think back to that week alone and, and for someone like me just playing in it was like was special like mm -hmm. um actually my and, first state open was manasquan you're manasquan right yeah yeah so that was the first state open i qualified for was manasquan river back in uh uh, was that 10 years ago, 11 years ago? Yeah, it's, it's been a while, um, yeah. Yeah, so it was, again, I had never played in a big tournament before. I was new to tournament golf. I had never played any tournament golf before I got to New Jersey. And then I'm playing these assistant pro events. It feels great. I go to this qualifier. I shoot, like, even par in a qualifier. I'm like, okay, I'm in the state open. It's cool. I'm playing against all the best players. And I was one under par through 15. I birdied I birdied 10, hit it to a tap-in on 10. I started. It's a great And birdie. then um, I was one under through 15. And I remember freaking out. Like, I'm playing, I'm yeah. like beating the guys in my group by like seven, eight shots. You had the imposter syndrome going, right? I've never played any competitive golf. I know I'm good. At, I can hit a ball far. That's all I know I can do. And then I went like double bogey, bogey, bogey to finish. Then shot like 80 in the second round. I'm like, huh. And, and it's no fun to think that. back to that. Oh, there's no shame in going double, double. Absolutely bogey. not. <laughs> no. It I did the same thing when Mike and I went and played there. <laughs> so it's funny thinking back to that event. It's like, I can't get back into that beginner's mindset or that open mindset nowadays but i remember those first 15 holes the only thing i was doing i would stand behind the ball at almost like jason day like i try to picture myself standing next to it i'd picture myself swinging the club picture the ball leaving and just trying to create the shot and i did that great for 15 holes I had a bunch of birdie putts just didn't make much 
And then all of a sudden it like got real. If I just kept it at that, like, just wonder what's going to happen. Who knows what would happen? But it's, and I, I haven't been able to really, I haven't been able to like hone into that, even though I know what you should do. It's hard to control your brain. It's like, yeah. And, and to your point, to when, I, when I was there on hitting balls in the range beforehand, like I, I was fortunate that one of the guys, I, I used to caddy at Madison River all the time too. And I had this one guy that would always be on my bag. And he said, you know, I'll carry your bag in the state open. So we're, I'm on the range and I'm, I'm still like, I vicariously live through a lot of you guys. Cause I see you guys as like big name dudes. I'm just this average guy and I follow all of it. I'm golf nerded out. So when I'm hitting golf balls and it's like me, Brian Gaffney, Jason Gore, yeah. and Tyler Hall's behind me. And like yeah. all these guys, I'm the guy in the range, sculling them, shanking them because yeah. I'm just literally turning around watching you guys hit the balls. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. Meanwhile, we're all yeah. playing in the same damn tournament. But right. I'm just like in awe because they're going through the routine. They're bombing it. And then I'm hitting this slap hook into the woods. And they're looking like, is this person really playing in it? But Yeah, but it, then you get to play with them and you realize like they're going to hit one or yeah. two of those every round they play too. I played decent. Like, I went 77-74. Listen, I left I, there I would I've left there feeling like a million bucks. Absolutely. And in my practice round, I made a hole in one on the eighth hole. So did it you was really? Like, yeah. Oh, that's sick. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a cool so, hole for a hole in one, too. I know. So, Mike, go, go grab the ball. Go. Show Brian the ball. Yeah, I'm not a um, – mem- I don't know where it is. I'm not a memorable <laughs> guy. I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't even tell you where it is. I've got my one hole in one ball sitting right next to me. It was at Mountain Ridge, the seventh hole. And uh, it was in our section championship. <laughs> Another just like a little funny quip story, right? First round of our section championship. Uh, I shoot 67 with a hole in one. Had like a four-shot lead after one round. Love that. Oh, and I didn't even make the top again, had never qualified for a national championship. The top ten to twelve qualify for the professional national championship. Sixty seven hole in one still didn't give me enough momentum to uh stay in the top ten. Oh damn. Yeah, well, I, got three. Yep. I got three. I got three of them. I don't know where the golf balls right. are though. Ah so nah, mine's actually nah. in my case which made the case. It's a title I've only used titles number twenty fives forever. Wow. Andrew Jones's number. And my rep that year, I was working at Ridgewood that year, sent me a case of number 70s, 7-0. Never asked for 70, don't know where it came from. And he goes, listen, I can get you the 25s, just uh, do you mind playing the 70s for now? Because I don't have them right now. I said, sure. And that's my hole in one ball. And then uh, <laughs> so I've that. got a 70 sitting in there. I don't know. So let's talk that's a little cool. bit about Hollywood itself. Like, obviously, I yeah. know Hollywood's hosting this year's, you know, four ball for the state. And I, I know when... You know, I had a couple conversations with Brad about like different tournaments that they're, you know, venues they're looking at. But your course is always one that is beyond highly talked about, highly rated. Every time that Golf Digest puts out things, it's clearly in the top 10. And then the argument's always there. Should it be in the top five? What makes Hollywood so unique? Um, you know, again, I've been fortunate, just like Ryan, to, to play that golf course. To me, the number fourth hole is probably one of the best par threes in the state of New Jersey. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And then you talk about like I think it's number twelve with all the bunkers all around. Like mm-hmm. there's just so such unique things that stand out about that place, even for someone like me who frankly hasn't played it in probably close to ten years, but still it makes I can see the, the flagpole on the first tee with the, the little shop or, or caddy spot or, or range, whatever mm-hmm. that thing is right the little shed right there. Like it oh, all yeah. yeah, it's all there. What makes that place so damn special? You know what I 
it's one of those courses that anyone you ask about Hollywood, no one has a negative word to say about it, right? And that's really rare for a lot of places. Like I was doing my top 10 list the other night and I'm doing it with another pro at Hollywood and we have very different top 10 lists. And like you had Danny on the other day and his top courses aren't even on my top 10 list. Like there's so many, you can kind of be high or low in a lot of courses in New Jersey. And Hollywood's one of those that you, I, before I worked there and during my tenure there, have never heard anyone say a negative word. You know, maybe there's one hole they don't like, but as a golf course in general, I think, I think the appeal is the score, the scoreability of the golf course, right? So we don't keep our rough super high. You can see everything. The terrain is perfect. The bunkering is the best bunkering in New Jersey by a wide margin. The fairway bunkers, the placements of the bunkers, the depth, the size, the contouring, the greens are perfect all the time. The fairways are manicured like you're hitting off tight mats. And it's one of those courses that it's not going to beat you up with the length. It's going to beat you up around the green. So if you have mm -hmm. a short game, you can play. And it's one of those that every hole is a birdie hole in Hollywood. Now, even if you're playing the back tees, there's a couple long holes. But if you can hit a good drive, get some length, it doesn't have to be the straightest drive in the world, but it's got to get out there. And you can control your approach shot. You're going to have a lot of birdie putts at Hollywood. The trouble comes, like we have the the, clan, the New Jersey PGA clan bake there the last few years. So you have the amateurs and the pros playing. And the course always plays really, like it takes a lot of time to complete. It's usually like five to six hour rounds. And I'm like, I don't understand why. The tee boxes are near the greens. You can't lose a golf ball. There's no hazards. Those greens get you, man. Like they do. You can chip back and forth. You can putt. You can five putt on these greens. Like they are US Open style greens. And I think, you know, what the first thing you remember when you go to a golf course, like for the first time, and you talk about the quality of the course, it's almost always quality of the greens, right? about any highly regarded golf course that you've played, it's always the greens. And Hollywood's got the best greens. And I think that's number one. And then just the the fact that it's so playable for every level of golfer. And it can make you can make birdies. You can make eagles. Like our 16th hole, almost everyone can reach that. If you're playing it as a par five, like almost everyone has the chance to get there in two shots. Mm -hmm. Um even our uh 10th hole, it's tough, but you get you have a chance to reach in two shots. And it's one of these like the templates of the bunkering and the holes are so good. You know, the 12th hole, that Heinz 57, used to have 57 different bunkers. Now it's like 40. Um, the fourth hole is the best short par three in New Jersey. There's a bunch that can compete with it, but it was the best. Be again, before I started working there, during my tenure there, it's only getting better. So good. Um, I love that. So I don't even know why this. It's just like, it just, I don't know. It's just, it's nothing really to it. It's like a hundred, if I recall correctly, it's like 130 yards. Yeah. Maybe even less, I think but it's the less. green slopes from back to front, like you can imagine, it's surrounded by bunkers. Those two yeah, little mounds, big, like it's elevated, it, you can't really get a great view of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you have these vol these volcano bunkers that you can see from yep. you're playing deal. You can see that hole and these giant bunkers standing out. Mm -hmm. Um, and you get in the tee box, and it's yeah, it's 130 to 150 yards depending on the tee you're playing, and you can see a little bit of the green, but the actual playing surface of the green, right? There's a huge false front. If you go long, there's a big kind of like saving slope in the back that can kind of like save your ball when you're hitting it. But if you go over that, now all of a sudden you're chipping onto this monster down slope and you can't really stop the ball. And then it's off the false front again, right? Mm -hmm. And this is the chipping back and forth that you see. And you can't, so, you know, we talk a lot of uh, strategy on the golf course when we're, when we're doing like playing lessons and stuff. And on that hole, it's like, all right, where do you want to miss, right? We always do short, long, left, right. Where's your best miss? And they kind of go like this to me on this hole. I'm like, yeah, there's nowhere to miss. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, about to ask that not... question. Where, where no. would you recommend missing on four? Because that's to so your point. Like, the, There's nowhere to miss, right? You have to hit a good shot. And when you don't hit the good shot, <laughs> you have to just kind of figure out how to get a putter in your hand on the next shot. It's not yeah. like you're trying – usually on that hole, you're not really trying to chip in. You're trying to keep it on the putting surface. So it's one of those like 
Once you've missed the green, four is your score. If you make a three from there, you made birdie, right? So the miss is like a little bit left. It's probably the easiest miss. But if you miss three extra yards left, there's little fescue mounds that separate the, the 17th hole from the fourth. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I remember in the clam bake a couple of years ago, I thought I'd missed five. It was just overdrew, like fine. Probably hit the edge of the green and then bounce left and ended up on the downslope of the, one of these fescue mounds. And I'm like looking around like, there's nothing I can do here. It was, no. I actually just tried to chip it, chip it out of the rough and then hole out a chip. Like it's uh it's such a good par three. The par threes there, and there's only three of them, are so good. The fifteenth hole is one of the most underrated par threes. It's a kidney shaped green, so like an L. And you could put that whole location anywhere and you could have some of the craziest putts and short game shots because of the hump behind the green and that and then where that hole location is. It's and then it's like a twelve that, foot deep bunker guarding I was the front. Say, that bunker is is cavernous in front of it. And if I'm not mistaken, that green is enormous, right? So if you're yeah. so if you're if the pin's right and you end up overcooking it a little left, you might have a hundred foot putt. Yeah. And there's a spine running through the middle of it too. So you might yeah. have to go up and over this huge, not huge. It's like just a, a soft spine, but the, when the greens are running quick, it's, yeah. you could put it off that green to another bunker. Like it's, it's just yeah. a fun, I think that's the best thing about Hollywood. It's, it's not far enough up on the ratings. Uh, it's getting traction. It's getting momentum. It's not far enough up there. Like it is a fun golf course. It's a well-designed, and it's fun for every ability level. And I think that's kind of the major appeal to it is like um, everyone enjoys their round of golf there. It will not be, you're not playing ball to lower with three inch rough and shooting 182. Like it's not going to beat you up. It's you're going to have fun playing around in Hollywood. No, I, I always say, Brian, when I, whenever I've played there or whenever I talk about it there, like T to green, you can spray it. Like I, I think particularly like that third hole, like I have a, yeah. I have a fade on my, on my shot. Yeah, to a to a power slice. Anywhere in between that, like it could be just like a nice little like buttery fade, or it could <laughs> be a boomerang. But like that third hole there, I mean, you could flare it out fifty yards right, almost be on that outdoor patio, and you're just yeah. like behind the 18th green there, and yeah. and still have a a reasonably good like yes, you're in the rough, but depending yeah. on how far you hit it, you have a clear shot at the green. And, and yeah, you got... most of the holes are like that, right? So the yeah, they are. Particular, like, it doesn't have a fairway bunker there, right? So it's it's a long, right. from the back tees, it's like 470. It's a beast. Yep. But when you move up to the regular tees, like, it's driver wedge if you can hit a good drive. But if you yep. flare it, you're okay. Yeah. The the challenge, but... the only real challenge of Hollywood that's really going to jack up your scores are these fairway bunkers, right? So every hole has these. It's not just one of those traditional courses that has one bunker on the left that's a little further than the bunker on the right that'll catch your tee shots right <laughs> at the 270 to 300 zone. Yep. They've got these fairway bunkers all over the place. They've got a bunch of these 40, 50, 60 yards away from the green. So you have to watch your approach shots. Like it's, it's one of the, you, you have to think on every shot, even a little bit, even this, our short little drivable par four thirteen. Like you have to think about where the, where you want to place your tee shot. And then you can't run a ball up to the green because there's bunkers surrounding it. There's a water behind it. And it's another small green. So it's a wedge, but you kind of have to pay attention to your wedge shot there. Like it's, it's so much fun. Yeah, you can't take any shots off there. But I also I also say that the there's elephants living in a bunch of those greens. Like that is the that is the defense that they're to your point like you could you could very easily like back to Mike's Mike's fourth hole there like you said, you could put a nice shot middle of the green like hey, I'm just going to stick it. The flag is is whatever and if you misread or miss speed your putt by an inch, yeah, you're back to chipping, and now you got, and now you got the back and forth, and it's, it's, uh, 
that's that's the defense of that course. It's like you said, you can spray it a little yeah. bit as long as you're avoiding those bunkers. But, but yeah, the, it's the, the tight chipping areas. So yeah, yeah, the tight chipping areas and the fast firm greens. Like you combine those things, and you, if you don't have a short game, you can't play. Like I'm like, no yeah. offense, Dad. My, I bring my dad there to play. He doesn't have a short game. He only plays a couple times a year. But man, those greens can. He just gets beat up on those greens. It's just chipping a ball over it, and then puts it 15 feet past, then five feet past again. It's it's tough. So so Brian, what do you say to somebody who goes and plays that course? And and again, I've also <clears throat> never really heard a bad word about Hollywood because it is always perfectly manicured. The layout is spectacular. I really love the like how close the tee box to greens are. That's mm-hmm. just like something that that's really cool. Yeah. How the, the putting green kind of goes into the yeah. first tee. I absolutely, I don't know what it is. I love that. So good. There's no, yeah, it really you're is. All, yeah. You're all over that. That yeah. is one of your well, major wait, things. Wait, I mean, when do you see it next year? We're starting to do even some more, some more work on the course where we're getting kind of these fairways that run into tee boxes that run into greens. Like if, you know, we did that putting green into the first, Mm-hmm. Uh, first box where we, it used to be rough in between you kind yep. of walk, walk now it's just perfectly manicured fairway that you can walk through it's got this good look we combined the eighth and tenth tee boxes a few years ago where the flagpole is out by the halfway house into mm-hmm. one giant tee box yeah that looks cool and then there's some other work that they're going to be doing to kind of in that same same thing and it's um and like even, even i was gonna say going 17 to 18 too how like yeah. the the blue tees are behind the mound so you're hitting out and and like that little tunnel that the, yeah the whole thing i i love little little like um intricacies or whatever like little things like that i absolutely love yeah i'll never forget i'll never forget working at ridgewood and um it was the year they you know all these classic courses are trying to go back to the original designs but keep it modern right it's a hard thing to do and ridgewood that year had taken away all the garbage cans they were hid them so they hid the garbage cans the little little ones and the um scorecard holders and they got rid of the ball washers and all of a sudden they're there if you know where they are, if you remember, like behind a little tree 30 yards off the tee box. But you're playing golf and you don't see any of that stuff. Hollywood's kind of got the same thing. It's like, no, there's no benches. Sorry. There's, there's no, you're not going to see a lot of these things around because it's pure golf. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, it's all these little things that when you're out there playing, like you just feel when you, between shots, it's really easy to just look around. Like it's not an ocean view course, but it's one of those that you look around like, oh, this is really good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what do you say to, a person who plays that and and gets like not a great golfer and and they go there and they have a really rough day and they're just like that course was really really tough like like as far as like it's playability like being able to play it over and over and over again sometimes I, I feel like people that are that are not great golfers they go and they get their teeth kicked in in a place and they're like man that place is really tough I wouldn't want to play it again but I, yeah. I think Hollywood has some of that playability. Like, what do you say to someone who does say that? Like, man, I wouldn't want to play that every day because it's too tough. Yeah. And I, it's a single phrase I've never heard uttered. Right. So if they do say that though, right, there's two things that get you in trouble in Hollywood. There's bunkers and there's the speed and firmness of the greens. So they need to develop shots on the ground with their wedges or Mm -hmm. eight iron or hybrid, you know, the hybrid bump and runs are the, I use them all the time. It's one of those that's super valuable when you're in the fairways. And you don't want to putt. You need that stay on the ground. You don't need a 60 or 56 degree wedge in your hand, right? Until right. you're super skilled with those clubs, like there's no reason to play those. So learn how to be putting your next shot when you're around the greens. And then it's the bunkers, right? So I'm a proponent of there's too many rules in golf. Like there's a hole, there's a ball, figure out how to get your ball in the hole. So one of the rules that I hate 
and hate is exactly the word I would use, is you're not allowed to test the sand in the bunker at an amateur level, right? Pros, I get it, all good. All my players, they're drawing a line in the bunker and they're trying to take sand out before they go into their bunker shot, right? So I would say, you know, they, when I'm giving them a lesson in the bunker, they turn to me like, I can't do that on the golf course. So I said, sure you can. Like, hand over your dollar you lost the bet to. Just say, all right, I lose, but I'm going to get this ball out of the bunker. Like, take a rehearsal swing or two in the bunker. Learn how to throw some sand out of there. So when you get to the ball, like, you're not trying to hit it up over the high lips. You're not trying to stop it on a firm green. Like, you're just getting into what a bunker swing feels like. And one of those is, like, just hit some sand first. Like, it's hard without dropping your – without um taking a rehearsal swing in the bunker. Like, we could teach you to – take it out of the bunker, pretend it's sand, that's fine. But for the golfers that get beat up at Hollywood, that usually means you can't get out of a bunker and you can't chip around the green. Yeah. Those are usually the two things that beat our members up the most. So we're going to draw a line in the bunker. We're going to learn how to take a divot starting at the line. And then you're going to walk over the ball. You're going to draw a line an inch behind that ball and try to make that divot essentially starting at that line, getting underneath the ball. And when you can do that, you're okay. Now, if you're playing in the club championship, no, you're not going to be doing that. But if you're playing for fun with your friends and you're trying to just enjoy golf more, you better absolutely be doing that. It's one of those things like, I don't say it's not a rule. I say, you better do this. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 you got to help those people enjoy the games. They stay in the game. That's number one. It's like my job. Yeah. Is to keep, get you better at golf, but I want to keep you healthy to make sure your swing is efficient enough to stay healthy. And then it's enjoy the game. And then after that, sure. We can get as high to a high, high of a level as you want, but if you're not enjoying it, you're not going to put the work in to get better anyway. So let's make you enjoy it first. Yeah, it, it is definitely one of those things where, like, Mike and I have talked about this when it came to more of, like, the ball rollback. But, like, the the lower you are – like, golf's really hard as it is. Let's not make yeah. it any harder for those guys mm-hmm. that are just starting out or trying to fall in love with it. Or And as you get higher and higher, as you get more, you know, better and better at it, we can throw more rules into it. Like, sure, yeah. the professionals don't need to touch sand because they should yeah. know how to do that. But, mm-hmm. again, someone like me who's, you know uh, – a 12 to 15 handicap depending on the time of year it's it's like let's try to make it a little more fun i think that goes good for this type of question bry like what obviously being a teaching pro and and being someone that is focused heavily on instruction you know i know you and i talk behind the scenes like what are like three things that you would give to the average golfer that would make them like maybe improve their game to some aspect because you see it all. You see the very good golfer looking to fine-tune the details. And then you see the 25 handicap that's trying to break 100. Like, what yeah. are, like, three things that you could give to the average guy saying, hey, listen, here's what you can do to help lower your scores a little bit? Yeah, so so the first thing, it's a lot of – when you're coming and asking the question, and let's say you're not a practicer. Let's say you love to play the game, but you're not really going to practice, right? Because I get a phone call, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, turn that off. Silent. All right. So three things, right? So if you are, and you get that a lot, like people that just want to play, but they're not really going to put in the work. And when you're coming to me for help, like, I'm going to ask you, like, do you practice or do you not? And I don't care what your answer is. I'm just going to kind of tailor, you know, your best way to improve, like based on what your habits are. Right. So let's say you're a player, not really going to practice. So the first rule is when you have a wedge in hand, have a putter in your hand in the next shot. So in other words, when you're around the green, figure out a way to be putting your next shot. And that might not be the high, soft, 60-degree wedge. It might not be the tie spinner. It might not be some kind of crazy thing you see on TV. It might just be, like, bump it to the side of the bunker here and have a 40-foot putt. 
Like it's something that you can't just keep chipping back and forth. Cause if you get there in two shots and you feel good about yourself, then it takes you four more. Then you walk up to the next tee and you're still mad about it. Like that snowballs real quick. So mm-hmm. I think that's always rule number one is we're going to teach you the basic stuff around the greens. Second is I love statistics. I love tour statistics. I love to ask people, how far do you think people on tour hit it from the fairway from 150 yards? How, how was their average? They say, ah, 10 feet. Like, no, it's 36 feet or whatever it would be. <laughs> and then you teach them that. Like, I love, I love the one with golf. putting. The one uh, where it's like tour pros, tour pros make 10 10 foot putts like 40% of the time. And you ask somebody and they're like, how often should you make this putt? And they're like nine times out of 10. It's like, okay, well, well, Scotty Scheffler makes this three times out of 10. So you're better putter than he is. I mean, yeah, not yeah, the best right. example right now, but you know what I'm saying? No, I mean, all, <laughs> yeah. Tony Finau, I think a couple of weeks ago, it was like uh one for eight or one for 10 inside of six feet, something like that, or from four to eight feet, something like that. Yeah. So yeah, 50% range is eight feet. So the other is managing their expectations, right? I kind of give them like the scatter plot chart of like, all right, if you hit a hundred shots here, three or four of them might be really good. 40 of them might be playable. And then 40 of them, you're going to be kind of unplayable and you don't know which one's coming out. Right. So you, I need you to get into a good mindset when you walk up to shot, think you're going to hit a good shot, try to visualize a good shot, but then ex- accepting the outcome before you, you pull back. Nick Dunlap, the kid that won this year had a great quote. I can't remember the exact quote. It was like something about how he was fully accepting of the outcome before he even pulled the trigger for the shot. And nothing surprised him, right? He knew he was going to hit some good shots. He knew he'd hit some bad shots and nothing was surprising him. What you see when I teach a lot of junior golfers is they're always surprised by the outcome. They think every shot should be perfect because their practice is perfect. And they get so mad at themselves because they're so emotional and they can't step into the next shot without that emotion taking over. And the average golfer is the same way. So if you understand your expectations before you pull the trigger, like a bad shot could come out, then I think it's much easier to move on to the next shot and to have fun, right? And then the last thing, is why are you playing the game? I ask people on every lesson, like, why'd you pick up the game? Is it because, you know, your wife or your husband plays and now you want to play? Is it because your kids are playing? Is it because you just love the game? Is it because you just love competition and you're at the age now where the other sports you're, you know, kind of like me, like other sports I'm too old for now. So now I'm competitive just to golf. Like, (laughs) What's the reason you're playing? So when we dive into the reason you're playing, like, and if it's just for fun or to enjoy it, we're going to talk about that stuff like in the bunkers. Like, don't, go by the professional rules of golf. I'm sorry. If you're out here to have fun, like learn how to have fun in the golf course. What makes it fun for you? If you're someone who struggles, like making a divot or even getting the club to the grass, like tee up every shot. <laughs> right. So I played in uh, my wife and I played in a play, great place called Punta Espada in the Dominican. If you guys haven't been there, that should be on your bucket list of golf trips. Like it's kind of solo, but it's the best piece of property I've ever seen. And we had a caddy in our group. And my wife is not much of a golfer, but she loves playing on these, like when we go on vacation at nice courses, right? So we told the caddy in the beginning of the day, like wherever my drive ends up, she's going to play from. That's where her hole starts. So by the time we got up to our ball, he already had her ball teed up next to mine, ready to go. And it made the experience, it was like, I think it was maybe the only time she's ever played all 18 holes with me. Like usually she'll sit out, sit out a hole or two because it's not going that well. Mm-hmm. And she'll just, she knows how to have fun. So she relaxes for a hole or two. That day, she, I think she played all 18 holes because the caddy helped enhance that experience by just like, hey, we're going to make this super easy. We're going to tee up bunker shots for you. We're going to do everything off a tee and just let you see some really good shots. So I think if you learn the basic short game stuff, if you learn how to manage expectations, and that is a really hard one, and then you learn how to, how you have fun, I think those are three really easy things that we can give to anybody to make them enjoy the game more and play a better version of it. Yeah. So Brian, I like I, 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 Mike, I, I'm, I'm going to 
to echo what I think you're about to say. I also love that. I love all three of those. But one thing behind those that I hear is the mental side of the game. Mm-hmm. That you need to, like, accepting a, a bad uh, result before you hit it. Like, that's mentally yeah. being prepared. Um, yeah. Moving on from a shot. So you got in mm-hmm. and done two, and then you four-putted. Like, like, like here, that I'll, whole here, accept. You, you, ready, like, you ready for the mental side of the game? I'm going to give you guys a good answer question. All right. Why is your second ball? You hit one out of bounds. You tee up the next one. Why do you always strike the second one? Just don't care as much. Just don't care about it. Right. So why don't you do that on the first one? Well, to your point, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I think I, I think that's uh, and I hear that a lot from a di- lot of different head professionals or directors of instruction. It's like you as an individual need to find the common ground between caring too much and not caring at all. And if you can yeah. find that common balance about like you care, but you also understand like the ball already has landed and it's already going to dictate what happens. That is a very fine line. Because, you know, yeah. we're, we all we all want the best damn shot possible. And it is a tough thing when it doesn't happen. You get emotional. I mean, shit, I am probably yeah. the most roller coasterish <laughs> type of person in the world when you play golf. Like, my expectations are I'm like Tiger Woods. Meanwhile, I'm not even close. But to yeah. your point, like, finding that balance is so damn hard. There was a... There's a there was a great quote. It was an Instagram little reel, like a 30 second reel from Amy Olson, who plays in the LPGA tour. I show it to damn near everyone I teach. And she's just getting interviewed by someone and I'm not gonna quote her exactly right, but it's she's like, how do you get to that mindset where so she goes, How do you practice? First of all, you have to really, really care about the game to practice as hard as you need to to become a great player. So how do you really, really, really care? And then somebody tells you you shouldn't care about the shot. Right. So how do you step up to the first tee on Thursday after you've practiced all week and you really, really, really care? And then you step behind the ball and you have to say, well, I don't care where this goes. But that's the only way to play good golf. So it's like you have to really care to get better. And then you have to really not care to hit a good shot. And it's this impossible dichotomy between these two things that makes this game so hard is it's all it's right. It's not a team game. We don't have anybody to support us. It's it's us and us alone. And the ball's sitting there asking to be hit. And it's one of those like. I'll, the other clip I send everybody is, uh, you guys ever see the Robin Williams skit on golf when he Love does it in the Scottish accent? Yep. <laughs> yeah, Mike, you ever see that? Oh, my God. So I'll send it we to get you, off Mike. This. Yeah. yeah. So I have it saved. I have them Google Robin Williams golf, and it's just him talking about essentially how the idea of the game is so stupid. Mm-hmm. And he does it in the Scottish accent. I'm not going to do the whole thing, but it's worth a six-minute watch. It is. You'll be rolling on the floor laughing. And I send it to every, especially beginner that comes to the team. Because they need that's that's like the first clip that puts it into perspective of managing your expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's, just, I, I, that's good. But yeah, and I think that is the fine line. And I and I know and I know the audience always likes good stories. And I know that you, when you and I were talking, you know, leading up to the interview, that you had a good one. And nothing beats John Daly. Nothing beats getting hit by a golf ball by John Daly. So I mean, yeah. like. Share this story because when you're telling me it and text me, I'm like, okay, we need to hear this one. Yeah, it's a good story. It's it's um, you know, Danny got to play with Trump. That's a pretty good story. So I don't know if I'm going to beat uh, playing with uh, playing <laughs> with the president, but um, so essentially, what happened is I'm working at the Bridges out in San Diego. So this is anywhere from 14 to 17 years ago, and a bunch of our members used to play in the Wednesday pro am. So when tour, when a PGA tour would host the uh, tour event, 
our members would be in the Wednesday Pro-Am. So me and a couple of the guys that were working outside would caddy, um, and I only did it once, but took uh, some members' bags in the Wednesday Pro-Am. So we're playing the North Course in the Wednesday Pro-Am, and I can't remember which hole. It was four or five, six maybe. It's a dogleg left down to the ocean. And John Daly's the pro in the group behind us. So our guys all hit off the tee. They're all in the fairway. My guy was the longest hitter in our group that in on that specific hole, and we were just past the dogleg of the hole. So the other three guys hit, and we're getting our clubs ready. We're just in the right rough, I remember. And he hits a great shot. You know, when you hit a shot, you, the caddy, you're holding your pose. The caddy's waiting. The ball lands. All right, as soon as the ball lands, he hands me the club. I give it the wipe. I throw the club in the bag. As soon as I put my bag on the shoulder, it was like Forrest Gump, like getting hit with a bullet. Like, no idea what happened, <laughs> but something hit me, and it hurt. And I go down. Something hit me. <laughs> yeah, that was exactly what happened. So I go down. I look up, and my, nobody in my group sees me. They're walking down the hill towards the green. And I see a golf ball sitting next to me. And I'm like, what the shit? And then I look back. And on the corner of the hole is the cat, John Daly's caddy. And he's like this. He's got his hands up, like eyes wide, like, holy hell, what just happened? And I knew what happened. He waved him up and immediately. Like, as soon as my guy hit, he must have waved Daly up because he couldn't see us. Right. And John Daly, it's a pro-am. And it's John Daly. He's probably got driver in hand behind the mm -hmm. ball. As soon as he gets the wave, the swing starts. Yeah. And I look at my calf. I'm in shorts. And there's a golf ball in my calf. You can see dimples and everything. It is indented in there. <laughs> and it hurt like hell. But it was right in the meat of the calf, so it didn't, like, didn't injure me. It just hurt. Yeah. Right? So we finished the hole. I tell my group about it. The next hole is this par three, uh, the signature hole on the north course, right in the ocean. They had, we're doing some kind of contest. We had a couple groups to wait. And um, so Daly and his group, we go up and sit behind the tee on the hill. Daly and his group finishes their hole, starts walking up to me. So John Daly's making a beeline for me. Uh, obviously his caddy told him like, you know, you hit somebody. So he walks up to me and he goes, Hey, first of all, I never met John Daly and I was a huge fan. So he's walking right up to me. He's like, at that time he, he had sobered up, but he was still like a big celebrity. And I would say second to like tiger because I got to know Phil a little, he wasn't as big of a celebrity in my mind, but like John Daly's right up there. Right now, hold on. So, Cause John Daly's famous for saying, I don't drink anymore except for Miller light. So had he sobered up and was drinking Miller lights or no, had this he... was Diet Coke. This was Diet. This was Diet Coke. Diet Cokes around. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, so he starts walking up to me, and he he sees makes eye contact with me. He goes, "Hey, I uh, hear I got you." I'm like, "Yeah, I think you got me." And he goes, "Where'd I get you?" So I show him my calf, and he goes, "Oh, my caddy told me I got you on the second second bounce there. That looks like I got you on the fly." I'm like, "I didn't see the ball, but it sure felt like you got me on the fly." <laughs> and he he just laughs at me. He goes. And he points out, he looks at his caddy and he goes, this freaking guy over here, like, I should just fire him. Should I go fire him right now? I'm like, no, 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 it's fine. Hit me right here. I'm all good. He goes, no, no, it's not good. I shouldn't hit you. And so he walks back to his bag, takes out his wallet, grabs a $100 bill. And I'm like, looking, one of my buddies is caddy next to me. I'm like, I've never caddied before. I've never met these guys before. I'm like, already in like a cloud. And he walks back up to me. He goes, "All right, I got to give you something for that." I, my, you know, you said I can't fire him, so I'm not gonna fire him. But here, it's a hundred bucks. You want the watch? He's like wearing a watch. I'm like, you want the watch or a hundred bucks? I don't know if you're a watch guy. And I'm like, I'm silent for probably three seconds. It feels like a minute. And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, Mr. Da Mr. Taylor, if you're serious, I'd love a watch. And he just gives me the finger. Goes, "F you." I'm not giving you my watch, but here's a hundred bucks though. And it, it was like, he said it with this, he, I didn't know if I can curse in the podcast. I'm like, he said it with these, yeah. he, he's like, fuck you, you know, you're not getting my watch, but here's a hundred bucks. And then he like, just kind of like jollied it up with our group and his group. And we had a great old time, but he like, he threw a fast one on me, man. Like I thought I had a lot from John Daly. And he just like, no, no, but he gave me a hundred bucks. And then because 
we were all members of the bridges and there's tour players there or we were working at the bridges there were tour players there were members there the story like went around and i was a bartender the bartender tells stories so i got to tell a mm-hmm. story god knows how many times and i think That's i've funny. kept all the details the same but it's been a while and i have no memory <laughs> but that vividly stands out to me when he's walking up the hill to me and it's i've been hit now by a second golf ball um danny actually was giving a lesson to a junior golfer once and they hit one off of our uh our uh overhang and it hit me in the leg but the only oh. time i've ever been directly hit by a golf ball is with a john daly drive and i'm like if you're gonna get hit by a golf ball like that's that's, that's a pretty too- good one to get hit mm-hmm. by yeah it's pretty screwed good out of a watch though he got screwed out of a watch if you ask me <laughs> i you know what i i'm not a watch i didn't know what kind of watch it was i don't wear watches i don't know anything about watches but i'm like i can't i have to assume it was something good and that's <laughs> probably why he was messing with me he but, wasn't uh, getting the Kmart brand watch, you know? Right. <laughs> no. so, but yeah, he, he got me good. And uh, we had a big laugh at it. And it was it was awesome. He was He's just a good dude. He was awesome yeah. to be around, even for just like the 10 minutes I was around him. Well, your point about Danny's story with Trump, I mean, like, in theory, half the country hates Trump. I don't know anybody that hates John Daly. So that's right. yeah, pretty if good. You, if, you do, if you do, more people probably hate you. Exactly. Like, you know, <laughs> So, Bri, kind of as like a wrap up here, I, I always ask one final question to to kind of throw this out there. And, you know, you can't say Hollywood and you can't really say Pine Valley because the odds of people actually getting out there to play are, are really slim to none unless you are super, right. super fortunate. So if you had to give the audience a, a public or a private spot that they if they got invited to go play in New Jersey, they got to kind of stop what they're doing take it up and say, listen, whatever thing I had going on, I'll make it up at a different time. You know, outside of those two, are, are is there a spot that you would recommend? Sure. Yeah. Um, it's fun. It's ironic because I was making my, my top 10 in New Jersey last night. Like I have my top 10 ready to go. So I brought it up just to make sure I say the same one, but I know my one. My number one is the drop everything go places Somerset Hills. Like that place. I'm a quirky, unique golf course guy. It Every hole has some uniqueness, some quirk to it. The design is phenomenal. The course's condition is always just unreal. Like that is the drop everything go. Like that's been my number one since the first time I played it. And then honestly, the next one, I don't know if people would say it as much as Bayonne. I don't know if you guys have been out there, but Bayonne Golf Club is <laughs> otherworldly good. I brought my dad there this Let year. me tell you real quick about Bayonne. I think okay. for maybe episode three. Now we're on episode 71. Today's episode 71. Like, I think about episode three. I've been saying, if I can go play any damn golf course, I will pay everything. I don't care what it is. Like, someone's got to help me out to get me up to Bayonne. Yeah. Because that is the one spot that I've been saying to Ryan on effing repeat. Yeah. Just get yeah. me there. I'll pay everything. It's, like, I don't care what you, you think costs. It is, that's a total drop everything and go there place. It is phenomenal now i couldn't play it probably every day because it does beat you up if you don't have a game that day but man it is such a cool place it is beyond like anything else like it's so good yeah there you Those go, are Mike. two great spots yeah, yeah yeah public wise though like i don't know if it's still public atlantic city country club might have went back to private yeah, yeah it went private last as year a public place when that was public we used to take some like uh, staff trips down there and do atlantic city in the morning we'd be first tee time and you hit off the putting green on that first tee shot and then we would do Hidden so Creek good. or Galloway in the afternoon. Like that place is so good and it's so, so old good. school. And like, I don't think it's public anymore, but man, is it a cool spot yeah. down there? Yeah. yeah. It went private yeah. last year, but to, mm-hmm. to your point, dude, that okay, Atlantic yeah. city, right. The wood, the holes along the wood, I want to say it's like 12, 13, 14 right there. Just like so, yep. so good. Yeah. It's a great spot. Yeah. 
It's a great that's, spot. Yeah, really good. That's one that I regret not getting to play. Like when it was when it was public <clears> a couple years ago, I was like, yeah, let me get down there. I'd look at the price. It was like one seventy five, and I was like, I do want to play it, but I just I like. You know, to yeah, drive an hour like, plus um, for me, and then I was like, yeah. yeah. And now I, I kick myself for not doing it. I, I yeah, really want. I think that was one of those like before COVID, the price wasn't outrageous, and then it was one of those courses like people were traveling to. When COVID yep. hit. Like that was the one time I went and played Beth Page. I was at home. I'm like, got a last minute like look at the tee time, and all of a sudden the tee time's available three hours later, and I look at I GPS it real quick, and it was only two hours because nobody was on the road. And I called my cousin. I'm like, hey, can you take off work right now? You want to go play? I'm gonna just book to Tucson at Black. And he goes, yep, I'm in. Let's go. And so uh, I, love that. And that was, an epic, that. that was an epic, like, nice weather, mid-April day. Like, that was so good, too. But that's hilarious because I did the same thing, but for Montauk Downs. Because if okay. you remember, yeah. New York came back from COVID first. So, like, yep. my like I was talking to a buddy, and he's like, hey, uh, I know everything's shut down. Like, I've always wanted to play this course. It's three hours out there. Like, you want to go? Nobody on the roads. Like, even – Nope. Even like when you get into the Hamptons and it becomes like, like by Shinnecock, it's like, it's like route right. 35, right? It's one lane yep. each wet. Right. So nobody there, nobody on there. We were, there was maybe two other people on the course and it was, awesome. we had a blast. It was an awesome, awesome time, but yeah, really That's cool. Sick. You did the same at, uh, at Beth page. It's funny as hell. I don't even think Beth page was two hours. Like I remember, I remember I saw the tea time and just booked it. Mm-hmm. Didn't know if I would even make it. And uh, yeah, just right out there and epic day. Epic. Yeah, that course is is really the layout so and the track is is yeah, it's it was so much better of a golf course than I thought it would be. Yeah. Like the holes design there, everything about that place is really really good. Cuz all you hear is how long it is, right? That it just kicks you, you in the long teeth hard, because right? it's so long and hard and it just it's 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 perfectly designed. There's almost no flaws in the golf course. Actually, the only flaw on it, there's no water on the course. There's no, oh, yeah. there's no water fountain and there's no, there's no like water stands to get water. It's the only flaw of the course. <laughs> Maybe it's changed. Yeah. <laughs> uh. um, Brian, you said it, you said a few minutes ago that like you like quirky golf courses. So I imagine oh, yeah. a little bit of a, uh, you have some quirks yourself. And I always like to mm-hmm. ask like someone who plays competitive golf, like you get ready for a tournament. What are some quirks that you have in leading up to teeing it off before you go play somewhere like what is the you know we've heard some you know a couple like Stu Hagestad said they're not quirks they're 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 habits but you know whatever you want to call it what are your what do you have that that you could share with us there I would say I was a lot more quirky and superstitious back in my athlete days when uh especially baseball basketball like high school days like mm-hmm. I used to my wife couldn't stay I had a stolen base streak that I wouldn't wash my socks and it was like, I don't know, 20 games where I had at least one stolen base and those socks never got washed. My wife couldn't be in my car. Um, <laughs> nowadays, I, I mean, I always – it's like the same as everybody else, like how many things you keep in your pockets, like what pocket everything goes in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I've never – I guess maybe I'm more logical in my older days in that I realize I'm not that good. But maybe if I go on like a winning streak one day, I'll develop – you know, one of these quirks <laughs> right now, it's like I play the same number ball. I I mark my ball the same way, a green V under the number. I, I, I really don't have any quirks when it comes to that. I, it's, it's, I think I've come now to the realization that golf is so variable and there's nothing I can control to do anything. So why try to control any of that stuff? And it's, I 100% uh, I, agree. Yeah, because I used to be so superstitious about everything sports related. Like, even now watching, I'm a giant Buffalo Bills and Atlanta Braves fans. Like, I will pace the room watching these games, and I have to be standing watching them. Like, I've got my little quirks watching my teams. 
I think with golf now, it's like, I'm just, I don't know. I've just accepted the crappiness is going to come more often than the good stuff. So like, what's the point of anything? Right. <laughs> what? Well, so, so to that point, like why green and why V? Uh, green is everything for me color wise. If I, I have green stamps in my wedges, green grips, I wear, I like to wear green clothing. It's just always okay. kind of been the favorite color. And then my wife's name is Veronica. So I drew a green V one, uh, one day. And I think the first day I did it, I won it. I won that event. And, uh, so I guess, I guess that's it. Yeah. But yeah. then I played, I played a stretch of crappy golf where I've taken that off too. I've taken her name <laughs> off of everything I own. I put my kid, I don't know if my kids can hear this. I stamped when I was, when I had my second kid, their names are Declan and Owen. I put their names on my golf balls and had one of like the worst stretches of golf I've ever had. And immediately like got rid of that. Like they don't need to be on anything I own. Yeah. <laughs> love oh, that. that's love funny. that roller coaster. Love that roller <laughs> yeah. coaster. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a true golf uh, roller coaster, right? It really that's is. We do. I, I live it yeah. every day. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, Brian, there's, there's a, a big debate in New Jersey and, and Mike and I'd be remiss because we're a golf podcast about New Jersey. If we didn't ask you the question, about the name of a particular kind of breakfast meat. Oh, I got. What's so that breakfast meat's up, name? So I grew up in dead central Jersey, right? Like Heightstown, Trenton, Princeton. Mm-hmm. So we got half people calling it one, half people calling it the other. I grew up Taylor Ham. I am now only pork roll. Okay. Welcome yeah. to the team. Came to the dark side. Came <laughs> so to the dark side. It's like, I was about to hang up. About to say see you later. It was so, good talking so, to you. I think when I grew up, I didn't know what it was. I didn't realize that like Taylor was the brand that made this. Yeah. Like, oh, it's just this is what it was. It was a Taylor ham. It was like yeah. saying, you know, spiced ham. I don't know. And then I finally learned what it was. And I'm like, oh, so it's pork roll. That's what you're saying. It's pork roll. Got yeah. it. Okay. Pork roll. So now I go to a place that says like Taylor ham, egg, and cheese on the board. And I'm still going to order saying pork roll. Like, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Man, just to, spark, just spark, to give spark. them a jab. Just to give And then yeah. and they exactly. come back. It's like, no, I'd like a pork roll, not a Taylor ham. <laughs> pork roll. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd like you to take that log of mystery pork, cut it. <laughs> And uh, and the the pork roll I'll take. Dude, that. when we moved when we moved out to San Diego, not to go into a story, but like we had my father in law shipped us these five pound logs of pork roll, two of them frozen because we were missing it so much because you can't get good <laughs> breakfast or, or you can't get pork roll out there and you couldn't get good pizza. It was like two things we couldn't get, so we had that yep. stuff shipped out to us in San Diego. <laughs> I love that. But sometimes yeah. when I go, so uh, my mom started the snowbird in North Carolina, and when I've gone there, I've brought pork roll and bagels with me. And same thing out in Chicago, but my dad's side of the yep. family is from Chicago, so I'll I'll bring like some some New Jersey delicacies down. <laughs> Bagels and oh, yeah. pork roll. <laughs> Have to. I still remember yeah. cooking it for my roommates at James Madison University in Virginia. I uh, I cooked pork roll in the little studio kitchen we had for everybody. Nobody had ever heard of it. Everybody was from the South. Yep. And they ate crushed because it does. That's what pork it, roll does. It's, yeah. Because it's a bet. Because people are like, oh, I love sausage, you know, sausage, egg, and cheese for breakfast. Who doesn't? Well, like, you just you don't know. know. Pork roll's better. It's a better version of yeah. something that's already pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> But listen, bro, I can't thank you enough for coming on. You know, listen, it's always it's always good catching up with people, um, bringing all amazing things here, golfing in the Garden State to, to highlight and, and you, what you do, your golf course there at Hollywood are just two more pieces to the puzzle about, you know, showcasing all these amazing things. So thank you so much for coming on today's show. We really do appreciate it. No, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, keep kicking butt going forward. You guys do a good job. Thanks, appreciate bro. It. Yeah, this is great. Really appreciate it. 